0: There was a love once. I shaped it with my hands, until in its forms I saw sunlight and streams, and earthy verges sweet with grass. It fit easily into my pack, and made peaceful the years of wandering through forests in retreat and down the river's tragic flow. On the day we broke upon the shore of a distant land, I fled, cold and bereft, fighting curtains of ash up through the snows of the pass. In the heaps of spoil, among an enemy victorious, my love floundered in the cracked company of kin, broken down blow upon blow. And now, as my days lower into the sleep of regret, I dream of fresh clay, finding these old hands where the wind sings of love.
1: Hello and welcome to the Legendarium Green Team's Malazan series. Welcome to episode 2 of the Crippled God series. We are blazing through this last book. Um I am Buffalo Panda and I'm joined by Ash. Hello, hello. And Janeth as a boy. Hi. <laughs> uh unfortunately Heron is under the weather and will not be able to join us for this discussion today. But you should be back for the next couple episodes.
0: Oh man, wouldn't it be sad if someone missed the last episode?
1: That would be very sad. We would do everything we can to make sure that all four of us can make the last one. Any anything we wanna get out of the way before we get into the episode?
0: No, I was just I'm just a Malayan boy today.
2: Just a Malayan boy. I um have been driven so. Over the edge of the big epic military fantasy by all the Melazen and Backer I've been reading, that I uh, actually started reading. Um, Sarah J. Moss. Are you familiar? Are you serious? Wait, which one? Uh,
1: the Court of Thorns and Roses. Okay. Okay. I have to do a plug. The episode that the Green Team did on that book is actually releasing tonight um, as of this recording. So. Mr. Anderson, Little Red, Merlia, and myself.
2: It's, like, so far out of my alley. Like, the whole time I was pitching Malazan to my former boss, uh-huh. she was pitching and and pitching Abercrombie to her because she liked Game of Thrones. Uh, she was pitching all this stuff like this. Not this author, but, like, similar in that genre stuff. And I was like, no, no, that's not my wheelhouse, not my wheelhouse. And now I'm like... I got to break out of this wheelhouse, and I just like—I <laughs> saw my coworker reading it, and I was like, "Bought for one credit," and I just started it. Mm. <laughs> so,
1: I mean, there's a reason why she is consistently on bestsellers list week after week.
2: Like, I like it. I mean, it's really good. Um, it's a very predictable, but like yeah. that makes it like very comfort foody when you're going. Yeah, that makes it quick. Or- <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm um, about to start on solar stuff solar stuff mhm i what just ordered mean? a book to study for the uh nabsap or whatever it's called the, associ- the associate exam certify you to work in solar oh i did not like solar panels know. uh yeah like designing them or selling them or installing them or it, that it's a like a catch all associates uh, cert and then you like go into the industry and learn stuff and then you Go back for more narrowly focused professional certifications after you like have some, some, uh, experience.
1: I never, I never thought about it, but it makes sense that they would have certification exams for working with that technology.
2: <laughs> There's some jobs you can do without it, but like, if you're going to be an installer, which I'm not ruling out, at least at first, I don't really want to be an installer. Cause like, I don't want to die, but, um, You know, it's easy to get your foot in the door, especially if you, like, show up on time and, Mm. you know, make an effort. Because, like, uh, uh, not to be stereotyping construction workers or anything, but, like, a lot of solar panel installers are stoners who don't show up on time and don't take it seriously and don't want to, like, put the effort in. So if you do that, you can, like, rise up very quickly and out of installing. I hopefully can avoid that. My dad didn't ever, was never an installer. and. I like living and not falling off a roof or electrocuting myself. But but having the certification means you learn stuff that makes you less likely to electrocute yourself, at least. Yes. Maybe not less likely to fall off a roof, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I would much rather be anywhere else but on the installing side of things. But you know, I'll see what I can do.
1: I did. I did get solar panels installed for my house, and um, it took them two days, but I also don't have like a huge property. So it didn't take uh, there aren't like that many panels. But it's worth it, I I think, for me. Uh do you have summaries for us, Ash?
0: Why yes I do.
1: Oh, alright.
0: <laughs> they were actually quick. Yeah, I didn't post them this time. Uh they I <laughs> I wrote them like a like an hour or two ago. They were quick to write this time. That was a oh, nice really? break
1: <laughs> Yeah. Oh good.
0: <laughs> I was expecting them to be horrible once again, but no. Chapter 8. Falash's handmaiden rece- retrieves a ship from Omtos Falak. Silchus Ruin picks up a new sword, the Leosin Breach Curled Uh I
1: think it was the opening scene for Chapter 8. That was disgusting. Uh, it was like Thoral. It said Thoral fell, her screams deadening to choking, hacking sounds as shards crawled down her throat. She writhed and twitched, and the swarm grew sluggish, feeding, fattening. Oh, like,
2: since when did I walk into our horror novel? Since when? I mean, since like at least probably Gardens, if not <laughs> Deadhouse Gates. <and> <laughs> 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 it's kind. It's a different kind of horror because this is like.
1: I don't. I'll be honest. With you. I don't really understand the shards. It seemed more like you know, um, gross, creepy, crawly things. Kind of situation. I don't know what they are, though.
0: There, uh, you can think of them as lo- like locusts, kind of. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, okay. No- I remember. But yeah.
1: Yes, there was a description of them. Yeah. See, I blocked it out of my head because I was like, I don't want to know this.
0: Too traumatic. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. yeah, and then it's it makes for quite a contrast when it's you know the like immediately the children start eating the 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 shards themselves.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, you know, you you need food, so...
0: They're doing what it takes to survive, yeah. Omtos Falak, Phila- I, okay, I don't know if she actually goes to Omtos Falak, but the, the hold that Flash's handmaiden goes into, mm-hmm. I, I find it just kind of, like, hilarious how inhospitable it was, you know? Mm-hmm. She gets attacked by, like, voles. Yeah. <laughs> I, thought,
2: I thought the voles were particularly funny, because um, they were talking about it ahead of time, and uh-huh. they, like, made it seem like that was the most, like outlandish and like not to be believed dubious parts of the stories about what omto is like. And then she's like, oh the voles and I was like,
0: yeah, it's <laughs> great. Yeah. She's just bleeding everywhere.
1: Wait, so I mean, I think it is interesting where based on what we know so far up to this point about Omtospelak was it should be icy. And that's really all mm. there is. It's, like I just think of Antarctica for some you know, relatable imagery. But then you go in there, she goes in there and it's like, oh, there's a whole forest and there are animals in
0: there.
2: It's more like Alaska. Alaska. <laughs>
0: yeah. Because it's like there's a whole wilderness.
2: But yeah. it's also icy. Yeah, that's true.
0: I think it's somewhat ambiguous if it is actually Omtos falak like right. uh sister equity later's like, no that that, that couldn't that have been can't Omtos be. Hood himself doesn't take a stance on the issue, but they like it is his ship that they get. So right. I think it's entirely possible that it's just like when Flash opened the, the thing, Hood was all like just guiding them to what they need, and what they needed was a ship. So this is where he had a ship. So who knows if it's actually Omtos Flack? It could be, you know?
2: I think it's Omtos Flack because otherwise, why would the rumors about what the worst thing she would encounter in Omtos Flack match... <laughs> what she actually encounters. Like, I don't know. It, it had it, to come like, from something true. Yeah. It seems to me like just like him trying to like kind of give a little bit more depth to Omptos Felak. Like, no, obviously it's not just ice in there. Much like, you know, when they go to the, um, the mm, Leosin Warren and House of Chains, it's not just fire. Like, there's other things going on there.
0: Yeah. My only problem with, um, Okay, my main problem with this is that um, this Omtoz Falak is not just ice-aspected, but death-aspected. It's, and of course, Steve has his little spiel about contradictions here, so it might not be a problem. This, this seems to contradict. Like this, like this seems to be like a place of overwhelming life, uh-huh. um, uh, whereas you know, an a ice death-aspected thing doesn't seem like it would be like that to me.
1: You know what is interesting? Uh, this is a tangent. So on the surface, I mean, there are a couple examples of this. You could look at like wildfires. You could look at like animals in the wild dying. Like on the surface, it's just like about death and destruction. But if you look deeper, right, for example, when salmon um, swim back from the ocean up to the rivers to spawn, right, they die after they spawn. And then their bodies, because they came from the ocean, all the nutrients from the ocean are then released as their body is eaten and decomposes. And the ecosystems in those areas are particularly rich. So that could be that kind of contradiction that he's painting.
0: For sure, I think that yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, yeah, and this is actually kind of why, why I like, uh, Drek showing up in these in these chapters because she introduces. Like Shadow, like a kind of middle ground. She's like a goddess of rot and and decay, but without de- like, with decay comes always new life.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a cycle,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
2: Also, like a lot of places that have to do with death in the series, and and the dead even are are more full of life than you would ever expect them to be. Like the Jagged Hell and Bone Hunters, I think it is. Uh, when they go to like the Jag Land of the Dead or whatever oh, it is, yeah. uh, there's all those like creatures that are there uh, that are like living there. It's like they're in ho- it's an inhospitable to humans ecosystem, but there is an ecosystem, even though <laughs> it's like the the Jaghut Hell or Land of the Dead or whatever you want to call it. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah, that's true. We get a fun little scene here with just Ruin, uh, December. I think it was, yeah, I think it's December. The the little bitch part of Dasim Ultor that split off. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of just moping around. And all of the gods that, like, are just horrible, <laughs> uh-huh. wanting to feed off of the crippled god. I like that we get, like, a little check in with them here. It's, we haven't gotten, like, okay, I think it's the first time Beru has shown up in the entire series, right?
1: <laughs> Other <laughs> like, than she's, just being mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's just like a swear word the entire time. Uh yeah, it's nice to get what the like we have what like five or six gods have been doing like direct shadow throne cotillion hood, um arguably animander and then like poliol and whatever and then here's all the rest and they're just kind of pathetic losers.
2: But what? what why are they there? What is the location? Why did Syl just ruin?
0: <laughs> so the location is the f- eternal fall of Coltane. I think they're just kind of like attracted to the metaphor, right? Like he's oh my god, there's there's like a new kind of God thing being born here. Um, mm-hmm. Why does Silchis just go there? I, he wanted a weapon, right? Like he, so he's always like,
2: yeah, yeah, no, I I knew the answer to these questions. I just wanted to push it at uh, the Coltane thing. Like, uh, right.
0: Yeah. yeah. Fair enough.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I love how it, the impacts of, of the fall of Coltane are still like reverberating through the whole series, like all mm-hmm. along. Like it's one of my favorite aspects of the series is like how, it doesn't end with the fall of Coltane that keeps on coming back up and up and up and up over and over and over again. And we see it from like so many different angles and I don't know.
1: Well, yeah. Cause I think, um, basically after dead house gates, uh, all, everything that we're seeing is somehow a consequence of the chain of dogs. Mm-hmm. A lot. Well, it's, not
2: everything maybe, but a lot of, things. a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Maybe, yeah, it wasn't too prevalent in Memories or, and obviously, Midnight Tides being a prequel wasn't in there, but yeah, like everything else.
1: Yeah, because Memories of Ice was kind of overlapping, right? Mm-hmm. They were like together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess, actually, let me rephrase a lot of what happened in the books that happen after Dead House Gates and Memories of Ice are the consequences of Black Coral and of Coral and of. A uh, chain of chain of dogs
2: yeah yeah that's true <laughs> that's like a lot of this book actually when you put mm. it that way
0: i absolutely yeah the, it one of my fa- it's one of my favorite aspects of the series the the historical resonant resonance that just occurs and occurs and occurs and like past tragedies and triumphs are kind of like endlessly reverberating they're like mm-hmm. they never go away there's um, and so like it, it really brings like a, a sense of like an increased sense of cost to these atrocities that happen because, you know, you don't just get to, for example, genocide of people for free that like that has real consequences in Malaysia. and you can't like right. you can't just do it and forget it. And there's always the sense of like things coming due.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's like almost like karma.
2: The siege of Pale even is still coming mm-hmm. yeah. over and over.
1: If I were a historian in this world, right, these events, so, like, Pale, Chain of Dogs, and Coral, they would be, I don't know what the technical term is, but they would be, like, anchor points, like, moments in time and history that, kind of like World War II for us, where, like, we're just going to study it to death, right? But there's always still, like, more to be, like, different perspectives to look at it from and then what you would look at is okay what led to those what events led to those moments right to happen and then what were the consequences after so it's almost like the the bookmarks in the book of like time and history
0: can you imagine the endless biographies that would be attempted to be (laughs) written about coltane or like do jack or whiskey jack like, oh, God, so much arguing, so much speculation, yeah. so much trying to get into the heads of people.
2: It's interesting you call them anchor points because uh, there's a uh, hard game, uh, board game called Star Trek Chrono Trek that I really like. It's by the okay. people that make flux and it's oh, okay. um, about timeline manipulation. So everybody's a different character from the Star Trek universe, and you have different goals of how you want the timeline to be. And if the timeline is that way at any point in the game, and there's not any fractures in the timeline, you win. And it's all based on anchor points and linchpins. And if you flip the linchpins, the anchor points flip in response. They are Mm -hmm. like linked anchor points throughout the timeline to each linchpin. Uh, And World War II, and how it turns out, is one of them. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, If we're going to show to media that does this well, I have to I have to mention Steins Gate, right? I
1: don't know what that is.
0: Oh, it's an it's an anime. It's like kind of small scale time travel stuff. It gets it gets real weird and it is absolutely excellent. Uh, One of the central conceits is they invent uh, a machine that allows you to send uh, messages back through time. Like, okay. text messages. Like, like a very short string of characters. You can't, like, okay. send people back, really.
1: But you can tweet into the past. Yeah, you
0: can tweet into the past, yeah.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Uh huh. And, and, of course, you have to mention uh, Spider-Verse for canon events, which is kind of like this concept.
1: Yeah. yeah. Although in this case, it's not like people are trying to go back to change what happened, and yeah, it's... I guess that would be an interesting um, kind of, like... Exercise, thinking exercise thought exercise to do after we finish the the series is what events would you have changed? Oh, malazan counterfactuals? <laughs> what the consequences of that would be? Yes,
0: that is a fantastic that could be an entire subseries. <laughs> I love that idea. That is fantastic. <gasps> yes, yes, yes. We get oh we God. get some educated malaazin fans on, like, um, Leonardo. Yeah, <laughs>
1: they
0: they they can provide a bit of class to our speculations.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. And then AP can make a video about how we're all idiots. And- yes, yeah, AP's nice. like,
0: no, it doesn't really make sense to do this. Like, a historians historian well is like, a, it's a like futile endeavor to predict anything. It's a waste <laughs> of time, but I guess it's fun, so you uneducated masses can do it if you want.
1: You know, we'll just invite him onto the episode and then he can just tell that to our faces. He just there
0: loudly you. roll his eyes at us. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, so the weapon that Shadow Throne gives Silchus ruin. Is that is it Dragonpear? No. No, Dragnoper is just husk a husk sword. A hus Oh, okay. Oh, and, and hus swords can kill dragons.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's sort of what they're sort of what they're made for. Or at least this is what Shadow Throne and Silchus claimed they're made for.
1: Well, later on, um in like chapter thirteen, right, with uh Yed and Derek, he has a hus sword too.
0: Yes. Yes, he found a hus sword on the beach, and it had been shattered, but over the eons, it, it kind of reforged itself, which is a neat concept.
2: Reforge itself, huh?
0: Yeah, kind of like a metaphor for the shake themselves, eh?
2: <laughs> I thought that he found it broken, and it reforged itself, like, in real time, like, in in front of, in, before his eyes kind of thing, but maybe yeah. I misunderstood it.
0: I don't remember. I don't think it's super important which of the two it is, but... Uh...
2: Yeah. well, is it alive?
0: Yeah, I mean, has swords are probably the most alive weapons in the in the series, I would say.
1: Oh,
2: well, oh, this is news to me for more yeah. on this, read Carcanis.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh.
2: when you said the dragon thing, I'm like trying so hard not to say things from Carcanis. Uh. So that's all I'll say. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, unfortunately, it's a Carcaus subject
2: pretty much like. Half of the things that occur in books eight through 10 are like, for more on this Carcanus. Well,
0: like, okay, here, here, if you haven't done the spoiler episodes since book seven, I think almost all of them have here. And I is just saying, well, this is, this is Kark stuff. <laughs> like everything in the series, like, as we were talking about, like the historical resonances, everything in the series is like kind of directly informed by the events of Carcanus that happened. So like, so long ago, right
2: yeah, but it feels like it feels like once you get to book eight he's almost like writing for Carcanus like he's getting ready to write Carcanus and like so it's much more like an, intensive and, yes I see uh, I agree okay
0: I okay but all of these things can be fully enjoyed without Carcanus I will say yes that's true too you know what you need to know about the Huss swords you, like there is Got more it. but you know what you need to know
1: Okay, just to confirm, because I I feel like I did miss this reading up to this point. Dragnapur as a sword does not exist anymore?
0: Yes, it was okay. unmade.
1: Completely. Got it.
0: Yes, by Kaladin Brew. That's how Dr- Draconis got out. That's how Hood got out.
1: Right, because he used the hammer on the sword, but it's not like the sword is just shattered and could be put back together. Probably
0: not.
2: <laughs> okay.
0: This is a question that I don't know the answer to either.
2: Oh, okay. So. All right. Got it. But for more on the aftermath of the events of Darugistan and Told the Hounds, <laughs> read Orb Scepter Throne. <laughs> <laughs> and Kaladin Brute is in it. And what he does next is in it.
1: Okay, got it. Um, I did have a question. So like, one of my main qualms about villains, a lot of how a lot of times of how villains are portrayed is like, I just want to destroy everything. I want to destroy the world. You know, and it's like, what comes after like what happens after you achieve that goal right and for the four crew a sale. so they want to get rid of humanity
2: Mm -hmm. and then what yeah they want so the so far what i've gathered on the reread i don't remember if there's more to it in the later sections of the book from the first read is that they want like they think it would be just to have a world in which there is no capacity for like, for injustice, because there's no sentient beings besides maybe themselves, question mark, that are able to you know, perpetuate injustice against other beings. So they want like, tranquility. Complete uh-huh. tranquility.
0: The reading I have of them here, and yeah, I I, I also don't remember if more is, is really laid out in the later sections, but the reading I have is that they have noticed how toxic the relationship humans have to themselves and to nature is. And they say, okay, "Okay, this needs to end now. Like all of these, all of these injustices that we've seen throughout the series, they're just going to keep happening again and again and again and again. And we need to break this cycle. And the only way to break this cycle is for things to be exterminated. He's kind they're kind of like, um, you know, Agent Smith in the Matrix. Yeah. You know, like humans are a virus. Like they're, they're not uh-huh. actually mammals they're they they stink <laughs> they need uh-huh. we need to get rid of them so i don't know how far this extends to the other races for them but yes the confluence that all of these species the leosin the Fork sale olar ethel like all of them have realized there are things that humans are uni- uniquely destructive for and it's not worth keeping around
1: but the problem, wouldn't it be, like, for all the gods that are in play who, like, side with the Fork sale? if there are no humans, then the gods would have no worshippers?
2: Aren't the gods against the four of sale though? They want to keep feeding on the crippled god. They and, do uh, want keep, yeah. And the elders want to get rid of those gods that want to keep feeding on the crippled god. So they do want to wipe out all humans, but they want to wipe out the four of sale too. Okay. And they want to regain control and get all those gods that have those human worshipers out of the picture.
1: Okay. So they want to selectively kill off humans, Ooh. the gods, these re- other gods.
2: They, they They don't. I don't know that they want to get rid of humans. I think they just want to keep feeding on the. On the, okay. the
0: yeah. So the there's like a lot of un, uneasy alliance that's going on between these these factions, like. As we see, even the four rule of sale aren't really unified in this goal. Like right. um Sister equity is like, well, we can kind of keep humans as livestock and just like call them re- like repeatedly um, and, you know, kind of keep around like populations of them um, in the name of balance. And I don't think the elder gods besides Olar Ethel want to get rid of humans. They just want them to be like subservient. So okay. they're kind of like they're kind of like an, an easy, an easy truce where they're like, OK, well, the dominance of the humans has to go. So we can agree on that. And they're all just planning on like taking advantage of the others at uh, you know when the time is right. Okay.
2: Got well, it. they were saying that by releasing Carabus, they would be ending the world.
0: Uh, that we do get more context on later in this book, I think. Right. We we do know Erastus wants to be like master of the whole skin. He wants to kill the Warrens, right, and okay. restrict the access of magic once again. Like they, p- humans will need to to go through the elder gods again. They will need to beseech their aid, and you know, like they'll they'll need to be over over all, all powerful again. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. cruel, the thing that cruel did was he democratized the entire thing. It's like everyone can use right. magic now if they want to. Um, and Rastus is very angry about this. He wants to go back to the way things were. Got it.
2: Took him long enough to be angry about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he was
2: just... like just sitting on his butt for hundreds of years. You know,
0: thousands, <laughs> yeah. tens of thousands.
2: And then suddenly he cares. Well know. maybe it
1: was he has cared. It's just that uh things have gotten less and less in his favor and now he's like, okay, I gotta do something about it.
2: There I forget why he like kinda wakes up. But it, it it's in book five and seven. There's reasons why he does come kinda kinda come back around.
0: Yeah. Um I think a very underrated reason or overlooked reason is Featherwitch's influence on him. It, it kind of gets called out, I think, in this book, or maybe the, the Dust of Dreams. But, like, she she changed how he saw things right. because of her relationship to him. Like, she was a very power-hungry person. Yeah. And his behavior noticeably changes at the end of Midnight Times, but also during Reaper's Gale. He he kind of yeah, wakes yeah, up with yeah. Like that. Um, but he had initially renounced it for a lot of reasons that are kind of ambiguous. Like, there's a lot that are suggested he what my the one that i like most is like people were praying to him for all these things and then right. he realized these prayers are contradictory like it's a zero-sum right. game if i grant some people's wishes i need to mess with other people because what well, yeah they're praying for their own selfish means so eventually he got just tired of it and said okay i'm just leaving this pointless game
1: yeah which i don't blame him yeah I, right <laughs> <not> for that <laughs> but yeah that for that part but yeah, okay. Your explanation of Feather Witch's influence on him makes well, it makes a lot of sense to me.
2: But well, back to your original sort of question about the fork rule of Sale uh, and what after there is sort of we do kind of know that there's a little bit about their agenda for other species. Uh, they at least have a tenuous alliance. I think with I think it's been implied that they have a tenuous alliance with the Leosin and the Naruk. Yeah. so, so yeah. the chamal and the andy are on the chopping block too at least and, and and you know maybe they're allies eventually but at least like for the for now it's that's true kind of like the the three law and order factions against the three like more libertarian races <laughs> i don't know I if that's the way i would put it exactly but you know what i mean like they are a little less concerned about like having you know this like fascistic order yeah, <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, to the at least to that degree. I'm not saying there's none of that among humans, or you know, whatever. I mean, there's clearly still some remnants of the feudal system with the Andy, but you know what I mean. Like there's this yeah, very yeah. tight law and order approach with the Leos and the Asael and the Naruk That's a that's different than the right. other three.
1: Well, there was there was like mention of you know the the god of the four crew Asale, like died or something. Yeah. And some people are trying to... Some of the Forkeros are trying to get it back?
0: They're trying to get access to Akrast Corvillain back, essentially. Yeah. And it's, it's been kind of blocked off to them for a while.
1: So do they just see, like, humans and how they... Like, humans are somehow causing that block?
0: It's, that's probably a factor in their minds, right? Like, the the...
1: I probably chaotic influence of
0: out. humans on the world makes it more difficult to access order-aspected magic. Mm. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I've, I, I wouldn't put, I wouldn't label any of the factions here as like libertarian in a sense.
2: I meant in but, the like yeah, word like yeah, not not like these hyper rigid, you mm. know, law order justice. Uh, no, not, I wasn't. I didn't mean it in the modern sense, you know.
0: Um, yeah, I, I would, I would like label them as like the side of intellectual humility and non fanaticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, which isn't to say there's not fanaticism among, for sure. Them, you know, but like, you know, if you're elevate, if we're elevating them to caricatures, they're much less. Yes. Mm-hmm. They're much less like the assail than Aruch and the Leosin than. The assail the Neruk, and L- the, L- the Leosin are. I mean, you
0: know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it is, int- I, I find it really interesting that the Leosin, being order-aspected, have consumed the blood of dragons now. Because dragons are fundamentally chaos-aspected. Like, so, uh, Aperil Forge, I think his name is, he's like kind of noticing this fundamental contradiction that they've introduced into their thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. And, and yet he's like, he's not. He's not willing to turn his cloak. He's still, I'm a good follower kind of guy. Yeah.
1: yeah. He also doesn't want to die, I guess. Uh, yeah. That
0: Loser.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Although, he, you know, he spoke up, even though that might have got him killed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's still trying to, he's trying to rein it in and it's not working.
0: I, I wouldn't say that those are like a doomed cause at this point, but at this stage in their journey, like, all the distance have been killed. Essentially, they've been nailed. Their heads have been nailed to to the tops oh, of yeah. walls. There's very little hope for them at this point in the, end of the series. Um,
1: Cotillion and Shadow Throne. They have a quick interaction in this chapter, and Cotillion says, "So you put her on a horse and gave her a blade and sent her back down her own trail to kill the biggest and meanest one." I Shadow Throne grunted again. Bet she was smiling. I wasn't exactly sure who they were talking about. Do I just keep reading?
0: That's just to keep ben. reading. Thing. Okay.
1: You know who we <laughs> haven't seen in a long time? Absalar,
2: not Apsilar.
0: That's, yeah.
2: Actually, we did see her in these chapters. We did? Yep. She is not <laughs> named. It took me forever to figure out who it was, but her and uh, Talk the Younger are riding around on horses near the. Fall of the eternal fall of Coltane and and Wait, not, really? neither, neither of them are named. It's after talks, dream sequence. Uh, Riga is actually the woman in the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. A- yeah, and and then Whoa. and then after he wakes up from the dream, it switches to Absalar's viewpoint, but we don't get her name. So, I mean, I cheated. I looked at somebody else analyzing these clues. I was like, these clues should mean something to me. Why don't they mean something to me? And I looked it up. And and but their analysis checked out. It's riga apslor and uh talk in the Okay. In the okay. Thing. And it doesn't rely on spoilers. It's just relying on like working really hard to interpret the ambiguous clues taking place here. I mean, spoilers probably helped them figure it out, but he didn't yes. write any of those <laughs> in the analysis. This is a thing all. that they're doing, yeah. Clue, clue, like all clues from the text. Okay. That we just read. Maybe
1: we can, you can point them out to me when we get there. <laughs>
2: Was it this chapter, or is it l- later? Is it the next? It's later. One? Okay. Yeah. It's later.
0: Uh, shall we move on to chapter nine?
2: Probably. I think it is chapter nine, isn't it? Oh so yeah, it for, is chapter it nine. On.
0: Yes, chapter nine. Oler Ethel is rebuffed from controlling Tool, who recalls a critical mistake made by. A critical mistake made by Logros. Gruntel continues to lose himself to his tiger blood. We see the origins of Mappo and Ikarian's friendship. Hood gives a rather enthusiastic hickey to Sister Equity. Listen, it's been a long time for him. I think you'd be forgiven for uh, exuberance, let's say.
2: Huh? I actually uh, was really mad after uh, reading that scene uh, because of how unwise it seemed to me to not exploit visions. Yeah. yeah to not exploit divisions amongst your opponents, right like politically, it's not sound yeah but you know it's hood so <laughs> uh,
0: I think it was the correct decision, but uh who knows this is, I guess this is a counterfactual
2: <laughs> why
1: why do you think it was a correct, the correct decision?
0: because I think when it comes down to it, okay this this is this is doing some guesswork. I think that the four of sale uh being who they are would pretty easily sniff out disingenuous actions on on the behalf of whoever they're treating with, right? So if, if, for example, Hood makes a deal with them here, I think they'd be like, I think she would pretty easily be able to see through if he wasn't being actually genuine, if he was dealing in bad faith. And even if they were dealing good faith, the problem with Sister Equity and her coalition is that they're shaved knuckle in the hole is a carium, and they're planning right. to use a against sister calm and letting a loose is like a horrifyingly bad idea whenever it happens right like he's he's like he, he's a, he's a world killer essentially if he if he lets himself get out of control enough so you know it's a dicey proposition and obviously sister equity is not like she doesn't care about he, like she cares about the principle of the matter. <laughs> she doesn't actually care right. about, like any of the human lives that, like would end up being sacrificed. i, I It would okay. probably lead to the death of the coalition forces, almost certainly,
1: so he took her by surprise and just, yeah, extinguished all of that possibility.
0: He's like, I know that there are very few actual four Pearl of sale. There's like twelve peers, right? This is one of the twelve peers. We can just kill her now. <laughs> I have reduced the effectiveness of the enemy forces by one twelve.
2: <laughs> are there really only twelve of them? Yeah. Wow, that's a, that's not a lot.
0: There's a lot of watered and um, uh, whatever the next level down is, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't
2: remember. Shriven?
0: Yeah, shriven. Yes,
2: shriven. Yes. Shriven are just like humans, right? That just with like, like, a, like a little bit. Them cause
0: they, they they like they got they got some fork sale blood I think
2: it, oh like I didn't much. even think I thought it was like watered our fork sale blood and then shriven is like humans who are enthralled
0: I think it's like shriven are part fork sale in the sense that Bargast are part thelem and toblokai, you know
2: mm. <laughs> gotcha mm-hmm.
1: shall we go back to the talk scene
0: yeah yeah why not
1: so, they were talking, he, he, he's talking to an old woman who is, like, decaying. Yes. But, but the, I guess, like, ghost of the old
2: woman? Or this is in his dream? It's in his dream. Uh, she gives him an eye. a hold of love, which is interesting. Uh, uh-huh. And she plucks her eye out and tosses yeah. it to the fire. Tosses it in the fire, yeah. And it's wax. She was a wax oh, witch. Oh, I see. So, and then like in the very next scene, you have Absalar. So it kind of like, there's like a connection. Okay.
1: Them. I kept thinking with Lostara, Yil, but that's, I don't know. Because um, someone was now riding beside her on a huge gaunt horse, black as the sky overhead. She twisted around to glare at him. This is this is you, a flash of a grin, and then, sorry, oh my goodness, sorry,
2: yeah, that was one of the clues. Oh, yeah, and the black horse is like talks undead, deed. Oh, yep.
1: when will and it end? How should I know when the damn gate closes? It's good to see you again, you idiot. Does he even know you're here? Da 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 Oh my goodness, okay. he is
2: probably like, crocus. I don't know.
1: Yeah, it says. He leaned closer, shouted, "It's good to see you again." And then she says, "You idiot! Does he even know you're here?"
2: Oh, that might be Whiskey Jack. Then that's Whiskey Jack. Does oh he God. even know you're here to talk? He's just talking about Whiskey Jack, right? I have no idea. Either that or Tool. And to that question, he
1: only ans- his only answer was another grin. Where had he been? The man had ever infuriated her, and now here he was at her side, reminding her of all the reasons. She'd had the first time, first time round for doing for doing what she did. Growling another curse, she shot him a glare. Will this get any worse? And then he says, "Only when we leave." And then she thinks, "God's below the things I'll do for love." So that's why I was thinking, "Oh, is this like Pearl coming out from the grave with Lestara?" But that's obviously wrong. Yeah. No, he's dead as a door Okay. He's
0: not. (laughs) He is. Yeah.
1: So, okay. Because I thought the God's below the things I'll do for love. I thought she was um, saying that the things that she would do for him who is now riding beside her, whom she loves. But that's not the case.
2: Yeah, no. She's talking about Crocus. Yeah. Uh, Cutter, whatever.
0: No, it was Crocus again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at his moment.
2: To her, what she cares about is Crocus in any case. Yeah. Right. She doesn't, she doesn't care about Cutter cutter's like a mistake in her opinion
0: cutter is yeah it's a failure communication
2: <laughs> I read that and I thought
1: I understood it and then here I am like no I did not understand it
2: <laughs> I mean I read it and I knew I didn't understand it and that's why I cheated. <laughs> so <laughs> I was just like I have to know who these people are because on a reread if I don't get it I just have to look it up right like I'm like yeah. I've, read the, I've read the books like <laughs> If I'm not getting it now. I'm not ever gonna get it. I don't I, I don't have it in me to read it fifty times before I figure it out, you know. <laughs> I read I and I reread it about five times in a row trying to figure it out before <laughs> looking it up too. Like I reread the section I like, see. And over and over and over. And I and I didn't connect it to the previous section either. So I didn't know who the woman was. And then I looked it up and I was like, Oh, I thought I understood the previous scene too, and I didn't understand that scene. Nope.
0: Yeah, um, to me at least on this, I don't, I don't, I don't think I caught it my first read, but I, I did catch it on this read because like there is one character that is associated with wax in the entire series, right? Oh, <laughs> like it's Riga. Okay. Like okay, there might be like the is the dying god at some point associated with wax a little bit? I don't remember. Or like Quick Ben has like little wax figurines. I don't remember. Yeah. As far as women go, it's just Riga that's uh, associated with wax. I see. And then there's also the the section where. They talk about oh how like the Melazans at least pay the families of their dead oh. veterans, and when that concept gets introduced, that's the oh, wax which Oh
1: yeah, yeah. she had yeah. been living
0: off of the uh, pensions from of her, her husband and sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Cool. A little nice sleuthing exercise there.
0: I really like the the Mapo scene scene here. It's so sad. It
1: is sad.
0: I just like. Man, Icarium did some messed up things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I just want to put it back together.
0: He just wants to put it back together. This Tell one pot do. that he found.
2: Kieran would be crying right now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Although what is cool about that scene was, because in our first interview with Ericsson, um, he mentioned that he was inspired by one of his trips where he... Was um, walking on a trail and thought it was gravel, but he looked closer and it was actually potsherds.
0: Potsherds, yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's some it's a beautifully somber imagery. I I especially like the part where so Ma- Mapo tells him, "Oh, you 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 fell down in some mud and that's why you're all muddy right now." Oh
2: yeah, it's blood, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I th- I think it's blood. I- either way, then Akariem notices that his sword is cleaned because Mapo cleaned it. He cleaned the blood off, and then. I was like, yeah, it's, while you're asleep, I clean the mud off the sword. So, jeez.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Rough.
0: The, the start of their incredibly troubled friendship.
1: Very unbalanced
0: friendship. Yeah. Oh, man, can you imagine how difficult it would have been to be Mappo all those years? Jesus.
1: He's a very patient guy.
0: Yeah. Uh, Do we care about Gruntle at all?
1: I mean, yes, <laughs> but also, no.
0: No. No. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Gruntle is a real miss for me. This book. Yeah, i I think he had his time in Memories of Ice, and then, you know, not I, ever since he left he he's just like kind of a not interesting character to me.
2: Yeah, I liked him in the beginning of Told Hounds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like until he joins up with the Trail tra- tra- Guild, right?
2: Yeah, and yeah. then it's, from there, it's just like okay.
0: Yeah, sure. He's is. just he's just like he, he doesn't even know why he's doing anything. I appreciate what's going on with him more in, like, specifically in this book now. I, I still think I, I don't like him very much in Told Hounds and Dusted Dreams, but like specifically in this book, I, I can I can appreciate where his character is going. Like, right, he's he's done this thing that he's very ashamed of. He's running from his human self. He's becoming Tiger Boy. I think that there are other characters that do better here. Like Talk is, I think, really uh, mm. makes him kind of invalid.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't have much to say about Gruntul.
0: Although, okay, he is a good vehicle for showing the cycles continuing into the future. Mm. I, will, I will give that. Tool and le, the the stuff. Interesting, kind of. Right? Like, Logros was like, ah, he's gonna, Dasamultor is gonna be our new god. Congratulations, Dasamultor, who was himself is very upset about this entire thing. Yeah,
2: And Tool, like, protested and yeah. Logros thought it was because he was being replaced, but it would, but for Tool it was because like don't do what you did to me. Yeah to anyone else. Like that's horrible. <laughs>
0: like this poor guy. On. Have you not learned anything, Logros? Turns out no, Logros has not learned anything. <laughs> and then yeah, all the EMAS around him were just kind of like, Oh, oh Jesus.
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. Because yeah. his thoughts are just like blasting hmm he doesn't even know it
0: That like that is such an such a, like an emo anime like little subplot you know like his his dark emotions are like oh everyone around him is like oh no like constantly but he's just like trapped in his own brain
1: <laughs> what are we talking about tool oh okay
0: Yeah, because he's just, like, walking alone, and then, like, uh, he's walking along, and then all the EMS are, like, they're slave to his will, and, you know, like, they're all, like, oh, the pathos.
1: (laughs) Right. In that section, something, an exchange between Ulag and Ristal Ev, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: it did help me better understand what Ekovian did in Memories of Ice. So. Um, the exchange was, Uleg says to Ristolev, find something, a memory you can hold on to, a time of joy, of love even. When the moment comes, he paused, as if struggling with his words, when the time comes and you are driven to your knees, when the world turns its face from you on all sides, when you fall inside yourself and fall and fall, find your moment, your dream of peace. There is none, she whispered. I remember only grief. Find it, he hissed. You must. He will see us all destroyed. That is the only peace I now dream of, Ulag. The he is tool, I think, mm-hmm. um, that they're referring to. She saw him turn away then and sorrow filled her. See us? We are the telonymus. We are the glory of immortality. When oblivion comes, I shall kiss it and in my mind i shall ride into the void on a river of tears on a river of tears and i think it's just like all the th- um parts leading up to this particular exchange was and especially when you see um tool not being able to get that release of death right and he had to come back as a talanamas and the suffering that it caused him that paired with this like i I get it. Because, like, in Memories of Ice, when Ekovian released, embraced the Talana Mass, I was very angry about it. Because the consequence of that was, to me, like, okay, all these other innocent lives had to die. Mm-hmm. And I still am upset about that. I'm like, why couldn't you just wait a little <laughs> bit longer? But I also understand, like, If I were in Ekovian's shoes and seeing all of the suffering that these Talanamas had already experienced, it's just like, okay, I can't do nothing. And I better understand and appreciate what he did. I'm still upset, but it's less upset.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that, yeah, when you look at the perspective of the Malazans, it's a very frustrating experience because like, yes, and from lessons and Silver Fox, because that's what Silver Fox wanted, right? She was, she was going right. to let them all go after this battle. <laughs> but then when you look at the perspective of the Mas and Idkovian, I think it makes perfect sense. I think it makes perfect sense.
1: I think when we come back to the whole thing about compassion, and it's also, I don't, oh yeah, it comes up later in the conversation between Krugava and Tanakalian, like, Tanakalian only wanted to embrace the people that he thought was worthy, Mm -hmm. which Kugava says to him, basically, like, that's not, that's not embracing. That's, that's not mercy. That's reward. Yeah. And so in this case with the Kovians, like, you don't have to do anything more. Like, I will give this to
0: you freely. Mm -hmm. Yep. Another moment that produces insane ripple effects down the road. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Did we already get, I, I don't know if it's making it into your summaries or not. And also it might've been for the last episode. I don't remember if it was this reading or the previous one. The scene with spindle. Is that in this? Ah,
0: ceremony? yeah. The scene with spindle. I didn't include it, but yes, this is in this section. I think it's chapter 10 or 11. Okay. If I remember correctly, but yeah, like we get it, we get a paragraph of spindle. I think it's an excellent paragraph and it, and it catches us up on, Okay. The Redeemer is not redeeming anyone anymore.
3: <laughs> oh, the,
0: yeah. the High Priestess, what's-her-face? She was the last one. Um, yeah. And now the Barrow is being... I think it was being disassembled.
2: But also, um, wasn't there a uh, Orbs after Throne callback there? Because he's like, oh, when I went to Darugistan, wasn't that a mess? It's like, took came up to Darugistan for that, and then Ericsson's like, no, 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 I need him down here. So he had a little... A little sidebar there where he's like, "Oh, and that was such a mess." <laughs>
0: That's funny. Ah, uh, yeah, I, uh, I haven't, I haven't read through Scepter Throne*. That's like probably going to be the last novels of the Last Empire book I read because I, I just don't like Jerudistan as much as everybody else. Oh,
2: I love like <laughs> um, it. And at-
0: *Stone is probably my next uh, uh, novel of the Last Empire book I read.
2: It's so weird that you're reading them out of order because they have so many like. There's so much continuity between them. Uh, and there's so much that like builds through them all.
0: Yeah, Mo- yeah. Most of all with the crippled guard, but um, yeah. The crimson yeah. guard. Oh, crimson guard. Or yes, crippled
2: yes, God. yes. <laughs> crimson guard. Yes. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, well, the cool thing about OST is not, or one of the coolest parts about it is not even De It's uh, though. I do like that stuff too. Uh, it's um, Moonspawn. moon hmm. You get a lot of uh, of stuff that happens in Moonspawn in that novel. Uh, okay.
0: the, the how i've categorized Orceptor throne this entire time is just like oh yes this is the book where we get to learn more about the exploits of humble measure and i i just i just don't care about humble measure so
2: well guess what that's not what the book is
0: excellent <laughs> fantastic
2: it, it it does deal with that a little bit but it like subverts what you would expect it to be be So like I expected God, that, and I also didn't care about it, and Great. I'm really glad that it's not the book that I that I read.
0: Like talk about like an uninteresting character setup. <laughs> get, getting more Vorken is an enticing prospect. There you happens.
2: do get that. Yes, and more of the um, the the Madron Badran and uh uh-huh. yeah, and and Malagrel or wait no not Maligrel the other Raligam. They have the same name. It's just switched <laughs> the letters. Yeah. <laughs> anyway,
0: shall we go to chapter ten? Yes. Excellent. Chapter ten. Stormy and Gesler take command of the Allied forces. Tannikalian takes command of the Grey Wolves. Krugha- Krughava has a therapy session with Spax and Abristal. You know what? Good for Tannikalian. You know he's 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 lived, he's fulfilled his dreams of usurping Krughava. He did it through facts and logic. And uh, the Grey Wolves have been revealed, I think, to the reader as. Uh, A great example of why you shouldn't necessarily uh, put a lot of trust in religious fanatics that you don't know the religion of.
2: (laughs) Although it's pretty clear that there's, like, more than one strand of thought in that religion. And that Mm -hmm. his, his is, like, the most, like, regressive and, like, kind of, like, rejected by the majority of the followers of that religion. And he's like kind of like usurping it for this like old, previously abandoned dogmatic interpretation. So so
0: how I read that scene was and I think this is supported. There has been like a fundamental tension in the cult for a very long time, like the 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 culture of the parish for a very long time. They're like, how do we reconcile the fact that we worship these wolves and, you know, and have them as our as our gods of war? And are humans that do human stuff and fight in these often pointless conflicts that have actually nothing to do with wolves. And I think he, I think Tana Kelly makes some really good points, right? Like, have a, she she kind of admits she's not actually serving the wolves. She's right. she's like, I'm gonna reform this religion for good purposes, essentially, and she doesn't tell anybody about it. So when Tana Kelly makes this declaration, that debate, whatever, he's like using these established tenets of the that they have. It's like, okay, here is here is how I see a religion. Um, And here is why we can't do what Krugava does because she's, you know, there's a tension between the wolves and the adjunct. And since we're a cult of the wolves, we need to follow the wolves. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess this makes sense. And then Krugava kind of has to go away. But yeah, like there there clearly is multiple ways of seeing it. I think that Krugava's is the more minority view.
2: No, because she talks about it. She talks about how over the years, the people who are most concerned by this stuff are the people who are concerned with like philosophy and esoterica and like, it's more like the Destrians and like Mm -hmm. not the, not like every parish gray sword or gray shield or whatever. It's like more like just like the, the, the people who are like thinking themselves to death, essentially who are concerned with it. And he like picks up on the stuff they used to be concerned about. And uses it to drive home his his point. It makes it it's... sound minoritarian and like it has been minoritarian for a while and and that it's only like these brainy guys that care about it.
0: I think it it's very analogous to like uh, real life religious schisms, right? Like cuz most of the time religious schisms are founded on these really esoteric ideas that are only really able to be dealt with by the the thinkers of the religions. Right? Like you have you have the early conflicts in Christianity about like okay, what's the nature of our faith? Is is Jesus of God or is he born of God? Right? And that creeds is like one of the really big schisms in Christianity. Um most people <laughs> probably don't actually understand what the arguments are there. But at the same time, you had a lot of very passionate people on both sides willing to follow both both factions because even if you don't have like a super grounded, logical understanding, you can have an intuitive understanding of, like, the possible contradictions and wanting to resolve those. You know?
3: Mm-hmm. So
0: I think that what happened with the Greyhounds here is that they sensed that there is a contradiction into the religion as it's currently stated, and they're just trying not to think about it. They 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 follow Krakawa because she's the mortal sword, she's the one they follow. But when Tanakallion comes out, they're convinced by his arguments because he makes a more coherent case Grounded in the religion, whereas Krukhava's vision of it is more aspirational, and she's kind of also taken off guard. Yeah. You know?
2: Yeah, but the other problem is that, like, you have these cults to these war gods mm-hmm. that often are either operating in mercenary outfits or in, like, military outfits.
3: Uh, mm-hmm. Like
2: the Fenner cult in the and like Legion of the Malazan Empire that uh Gessler tried to start and then you have like the gray shields yep. uh, and gray the, swords wait gray swords
0: is which one is that gray this swords one? is the Fenner cult yeah later converted swords. to Chag and Vandere, right. right, and right. right. Okay. these are the gray Helms
2: and they have they, they, they've always done this mercenary thing and and they do, didn't seem very concerned like like what does the boar of Fenner care about whether or not Kapustan is liberated, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't it seems like it's a long-standing thing that they're just like war. We do the war.
0: They do the right? war. You
2: know, we take the contract and we do the war and that's it. And yeah, trying to make it more like, no, we do the religion. That's the right. more important thing.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> right. That I, I think this speaks to like one of the differences between the Grey Swords and the Grey Helms. Like they have some sections here where they they think about Oh, this is what set Fenner apart from Trake, and what set Fenner apart from the Wolves, right? Like the Wolves haven't, they haven't been ascendants for like in ascendancy for a very long time. They had their worshippers, the Parish, for like a long time, but they weren't the gods of war. It was Fenner, and Fenner is has his cults have had time to kind of reconcile themselves to these weird things. But since the Wolves have been sidelined for so long, they didn't have the chance to kind of mature in this way. And we do we do know, based on these paragraphs, like, the wolves are on Tanakallian's side and not Krukabas, right? <laughs> and we get that through um, Sea Talk. The mm-hmm. wolves are, uh, Sea Talk and I think Sister Equity, the wolves are actually allied with the Four Curl of Sale. Yeah. Yeah. D- despite the fact that the Greyhelms, they don't have a destroyer right now. They don't have someone who can tell them that. <laughs> they they right. probably get some level of, osmo- like, godly osmosis. I don't know. The sentiments of the wolves kind of seep through, but not clearly. I mean,
1: and it makes sense because the dichotomy that por like draws up is nature versus humans, mm-hmm. right? And wolves represent nature.
0: Yeah, and then there's the the dialogues like, "Oh, humans and nature aren't actually opposites."
1: Yeah, later damage- on. Yeah. It's the damage that humans
0: the do to nature is actually just damage doing to itself. themselves because they can't be fundamentally separate because that's an insane thing. Humans can't own nature and they're not like an entirely right. separate thing. But, you know, contradictions.
2: <laughs> yes. I uh, got into a big argument about that
0: recently. Oh, oh excellent.
2: <laughs> Somebody posted a meme of Karl Marx and it said all all wealth comes from labor. So just jot that down. And I was like, actually, Marx made fun of that because all wealth comes from nature. He didn't agree with that. And they like Uh, put me on blast for saying that. They were just like, oh, you want me to explain all this stuff in a meme? Blah, 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 blah. I was like, just change the word wealth to value. Like, it's not complicated. You're making me out like I'm just being this like stickler. And like you would need to like put five paragraphs in a meme to get across (laughs) this concept. And it's like one word change and you would have something he actually said instead of something he made fun of people for saying (laughs)
0: <laughs> nothing. Nothing more classic than Marxists arguing over precise meanings. Of what uh, the, the precise meanings of Marx, right?
2: <laughs> oh, he literally made fun of it. So, I, like,
0: no, like, I, 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 I think you're in the right there. It's just you know, like, this is what Marxists do. They they argue over what Marx said and <laughs> what he didn't say and what he might have meant and what he didn't mean when he said uh, what he all these things.
2: But usually, you get you get that with like weird, ambiguous things that are like more in the weeds and like this is like literally something where i have a quote of him
0: it happens on all levels right (laughs) (laughs) he's like
2: no it doesn't come from labor it comes from nature and human labor is a product of nature and like he literally says what you just said and except about economics right so
0: I, I fully believe that you had this argument. Yeah. <laughs> it was really frustrating. <laughs>
2: it was frustrating because they they all made made me out like t- to be like I was just like being this anal douche. But I was like, I mean, like, what if somebody like took something that you like openly made fun of in your works and attributed the thing you made fun of to you two hundred years <laughs> after your death? You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's oh uh, like, yeah, you know, it's a little different than like. A slight misinterpretation one way or the other on something. I don't know.
0: I mean I, I always bring up like Fight Club and American Psycho, right? Like people going coming out of those movies are like, oh yeah, Tyler Durden is a cool dude. I want to be like Tyler Durden.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. I love all those movies and I hate people who love those movies because they all <laughs> worship the the protagonists yeah. and the protagonists are the bad guys. And it's like obvious in the narrative that the protagonists are
0: the Yeah or like yeah, people come out of American Psycho thinking that uh, Patrick Bateman is a cool guy. It's like, how, like, did you, the media literacy is dead, you know? <laughs> you cannot like have... Amer-
2: American Psycho, Fight Club, Scarface, uh Joker. You know, yeah, Wolf of War, Joker, et cetera, yeah. Taxi Driver. Yeah, Taxi Driver, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All those yep. movies that I love.
0: They're really good movies. I really like Fight Club. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm finally to where I can watch Fight Club again because I'm like so removed from the original dude bros. Yeah. From the original (laughs) like milieu I was in when I watched it because I was one of those people when I watched Fight Club. Like when I was 12, I was like, oh, it's so cool. And and I missed the point. And and now I get the point. And and it took me a while to like detox. And now I'm like, okay, I want to watch it again now. Now that I (laughs) have.
0: Learning how to fight is, is a legitimately excellent thing. So if you take one thing in a fight club, you can, you can take that, you know. Just Mm-mm, don't be I bouncing see. people's heads off of pavement. Do it in a controlled environment.
1: I think learning defensive fighting is helpful.
0: Or like, you know, competitions, you know. Sure. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fun sport.
1: I like different sports.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Can we talk about this glass desert?
0: Yes. It's not really in this section, but...
1: Well, chapter Ten, it mentions um basically, I guess the creation of
0: yeah, the they're like someone desert. killed a god here,
1: yeah, yeah, but also, is this is this what is it partially kind of what's causing Burn to be sick, or is this the outcome of her being sick?
0: um this is the outcome of some unimaginably catastrophic event cataclysmic event one might even say what's oh. causing burn to be sick is the presence of the crippled god on an yeah. her. and like his foreign body is uh, a virus infecting basically. her yeah
1: yeah okay but she doesn't have
2: anything to do with the class they doesn't? make reference to like when it happened it probably like was damaging to her she might yeah. have okay rolled over in her sleep or i forget the words they use right 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 yes,
0: okay. yes. and yeah, I see. And, and and magic being life, and all magic being dead here, like that is definitely significant. Like this is a this is this is like a dead patch on on burn, but it's not like an infection that's spreading.
1: Okay. Yeah. And to be clear, the the land of Kalor is Jacaruku.
0: Ja- was- yeah, that was like his capital. Place. Okay. Well, okay, his capital place was swept away in the Imperial Warren. But Jakaruku is the largest remnant of ruins of his empire, I believe.
1: And that was where he like set fire to everything?
0: If it was him. Well, okay, no, the the, the the set fire to everything, that that's what was swept into the Imperial Warren. Okay. But yeah, the land of Jakaruku might be is probably close to that. The land of Jakaruku is where the Thalmaturgs that called down the crippled god reside.
1: Right. But the Kalance is like not in the same place.
0: Yeah, it's like a different continent, but it was still very ravaged by the crippled god's fall. It's where the biggest parts of him fell.
1: So could it be that when he fell, he accidentally killed a god, and that's what caused the glass desert? <laughs> I thought
2: that. uh, I figured it was the Forkroll Sales God. Ah.
0: Uh... Yeah, this is something that we get more of in the okay. next couple books. Okay. Yeah there there is more here. I'll say the nature of the glass desert is explored further.
2: Yes. Um. By the way, if you want to see what life under the Thaumaturgs is like on Jack Ruku, they're still in, they're still in charge.
0: Yeah. Blood and Bone. Yeah. Is a it's so I love Blood and Bone. Words cannot express the. I want I want more Blood and Bone style stuff out of Esselmont. I want more Thaumaturgs. The Thaumaturgs are such an interesting little oh.
2: they're really yeah they're really cool it's a cool setting for sure i i definitely prefer his prequel stuff to the novels of the Mazzle. gotcha yeah uh, I, i'm still I, i'm still reading forge of the high mage i just had to take a break and read that fey romance stuff uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh forge of the high mage is some of the best molasses i've ever read nice it's really good
0: <laughs> i will i will one day get to path to them to ascend and it's It's been very encouraging to hear the stuff about Forge the High Mage because Kellenved's reach was not very well received.
2: It's, But the thing is that it's not well received not because it's bad, but because like he was too constrained. Like it re- Like, totally it, fair. It, it needed to be bigger. It needed to be more mm-hmm. of a sprawl. And it was just too tight and too constrained. And there was just like not enough. It was like a bunch of cool stuff and not enough of any of it. Was he just playing too safe? Yeah, like it seemed like like he really took the 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 criticisms about how about how big and unwieldy oh, okay. these books are, you know, too too far in the other direction, you know, I see that. And, and, like it it was the opposite of the Return of the Crimson Guard, which is too much <laughs> of everything, a, a lot of really cool stuff and too much of them all. This is the opposite: a lot of cool stuff and not enough of it.
0: <laughs> I quite like Return of the Crimson Guard, but it's not something I look forward to rereading. <laughs> because like there's all this stuff, most mostly in the first half that I'm just like, nah, yeah. and then the second half is I think amazing.
2: Although Helen Vid's Reach has a a really cool ending, so I don't know. That's and good. and and some of my favorite stuff about the Talani Mass and like how the that all came about, how he came to be like in charge of the Talani Mass. It's in there. So there's yeah. like some really good, really good stuff.
0: Wow, we're doing a lot of digressions today. Yes, Panda, we can talk about whatever you want I guess
2: right now. not here to keep us on track. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Panda's not uh, holding the reins tight enough. You want me to? I can yeah, crack it. I think
0: we're fine to do... I, I'm fine with the digressions, but...
1: So, in Chapter 10, we get a bit of, um... Aranix... Aranict? Aaron, yeah. How do you say her?
0: Yeah, that's it. Aranix. A- yeah. Aaronict? Or Aranict, I don't know. Aranict.
1: Um... So she, she mentions how difficult it was to witness the bone hunters just following Tavor. The The section says, She was a singular woman, was Tavor Peron. They could all see that. They had all witnessed the terrible majesty of her will, and her soldiers followed. That had been, for Erenekt, the hardest thing to witness. The squads fell in, the companies formed up, and they... And as they marched past Prince Briss, they offered him a sharp, perfect salute. As if on a parade ground, eyes hidden in the shadow of their helms, that closed fist on the chest, expressions chiseled from stone. Gods, I will never forget that, any of it. Those faces, horrifying in their emptiness. Those soldiers, veterans of something far beyond battles, far beyond shields locked and swords bared beyond even the screams of dying comrades and the and the desolation of loss veterans of a lifetime of impossible decisions of all that is unbearable and all that is without reconciliation and um they do go on to talk about this in like the later books and these the these sections where the bone hunters and the bridge burners like if anything they they would understand the crippled God the most out of all these different players because of just the amount of suffering that they mm-hmm. have experienced. And it's it is quite I don't have the best words to describe it, but for me as this as a reader witnessing all of these events, all these emotions and the suffering, And getting really attached to a lot of these characters and feeling pain when, you know, something really bad happens to them. I guess this is what Erickson was doing in that if you look at the crippled god and the pain that you've experienced just reading through and witnessing these events, can you imagine how much more pain he is in? And what are you going to do about it?
0: Mm Mm-hmm yeah i love i i I do love these discussions in these in these books like again like what is it that makes these people special why are they able to do what they do why are they following this woman what makes her special like there's so many really fantastic discussions that are being had from like all manner of angles here and And we uh, do
2: get some answers that we haven't mm -hmm. gotten in many books to uh that that last one you just said why are they why yeah what why her what's special about her we get we finally get an answer to that question here
3: mm-hmm.
1: which i i get it like because you know i think it was i don't remember 100 percent who it was but they said that they saw this light this shiny thing in uh um, Kukava,
0: yeah and their little therapy session
1: right like <laughs> in her hands yeah and that was compassion yeah But that doesn't answer the question of why does Tavor have so much compassion? Like, Mm. what makes her the one to be able to do this and make this decision?
2: And another question I have, actually, that I don't remember if the book answers, (laughs) is uh, why? Like, how did she figure it all out? How did she... (laughs) how long has she known this is her mission for and 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 when did she figure out like this was what she wanted to do with her life Right. And, like like how did she like was it like through studying the malazan military stuff did she like keep going back further in history and study the the the, the fall and the chainings or like what made her realize like oh this guy camensad this is the one right Th- that we need to focus on, you know, and th- he's the one who we need, who I need to save. Uh,
0: I think that's an excellent discussion to have for the in and the next episode because I think, <laughs> or the next episode, or or the last episode, because I, in my opinion, we get the answers we need. Okay. Or enough okay stuff to I go on. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm very excited to have that conversation. I I can't offer my thoughts on it right now because mm, fair uh, fair. Yeah, but. The series, in a large part, is about trying to figure that question out. I think mm.
1: it better not be something super cheesy, like because she made the choice to do so.
0: Oh, I, I don't think that's. Okay. I, I, I don't think the answer is cheesy. Is okay, what cool. Say.
2: Um, speaking of cheesy, yeah, uh, or maybe cliche is a better word. <laughs> I really like the beginning of this chapter bring this a little more down to earth away from like the big, the big things <laughs> The the, the breakdown of the, di- the dynamic between stormy and Gus, and like, oh, yeah. they like yeah. are fighting with each other and, and how like characters start to realize that it's like love
3: mm-hmm. that,
2: like all we're hearing is what they're saying out loud and like what's in between and under it is like their, their love and their shared, like, dramas and their shared like yeah.
3: uh bond with each
2: other. I mean, Yeah, it's very uh <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh it is a nice kind of subversion of um the stereotypical like soldiers griping at each other. Yeah. And, you know, uh
1: I like the explanation that they are trying so freaking hard to hang on to their humanity. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's like a really that was a really moving part to me uh, yeah. this time kind of around. It's like, because we do see how all of these gods, when they ascend, they lose it. Right? Like, C- Cotillion is the, the best exploration of this, right? He like he he had fully lost it before he possessed Story, and sort and guessly, like, they have like an intuitive understanding. If if we ascend, that's what's going to happen. We're going to lose a, little, a, a significant chunk of ourselves. So they've made this kind of implicit decision. No, we're not doing that.
1: <laughs> In a way like to make it tangible for the real world i think a lot of um parallels to this is fame like mm-hmm. w- you know people can have humble beginnings and then they become more successful and they you know whether through luck or hard work or whatever right they achieve this like status that very few people have and a lot of people envy and if you allow yourself to um you, it's very easy to lose that connection to everyone else. Um, and here it's like they know what's happening and they're trying very hard to not lose that connection. Mm-hmm.
2: So, speaking of losing your humanity, and when did all of this start? So, now that I brought us back down to the <laughs> earth, I'm gonna bring us back up to the big thing and zoom out again because there's another couple of characters. That I don't understand, even with reading the prequels and everything, at what point did they get on board to Vore's mission? And it's Kelimved and Dancer. Like, were they, did they know that they wanted to try to like snatch the crippled God from all of the other gods and free him instead of like continuing to feed on his power. Like the other gods are before they ascended because that's like not necessarily the impression I get of their characters from, uh, I don't think so. People talking about them back then from, what I have seen of them back then, through Esslemont's stuff in both Night of Knives and Past Ascendancy, like it doesn't seem like they had any idea that that's what they wanted to do in the first place. But now they're on board with it. And why are they doing that if they don't have their humanity anymore? Is there like a I have a theory, like a, like a more moral philosophy behind it that transcends their humanity, or like why, why, why are they? I think on it's something. Side?
1: Well, at least for throne, so I think it's something much simpler so and this I just came up with this so it's probably like really off but my theory is that when they were ascending no they this was not like part of the plan I think they were ascending for other other reasons partly probably like because we want to prove that we can and once they did and they had a better understanding of what the game was like at that level and they've observed these Stupidity and squabbles, and like how these gods interact with humans. They're like, you know what? These people take themselves, people meaning the gods, take themselves too seriously. What's something that they all really want? What if we just took it out from under them?
2: Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, there's another couple of things here. I think somebody alluded to it in either this book or the previous book. Uh, and it's the idea that. All the other new gods, not the elders, uh, will be weakened um, relative to them. Mm. So they'll be in a better position relatively after the crippled god is. But like, why though? On, because the major power source for the other gods would be gone. So instead of like getting, but, but like, on what them, is their
1: power source? How? Why is it that they're so different?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, because they haven't been feeding on the crippled god's power for thousands and thousands, years. Like they're new. And then the other thing is their connection to the Azath. Oh, uh, yeah. And the Azath may be sympathetic to the to this mission.
0: Uh, once again, I have I have thoughts on this.
2: That <laughs> <laughs> You cannot <laughs>
0: they, tell us. They need to wait. I I will say that yes, I think the time when the Azath House was very transformative for them. And I have I have guesses on how exactly it was transformative, but those are going to wait. And uh, I think it's like an, it's either in house of chains or bone hunters. Someone theorizes that totally forgot who that, um Shadow Throne Cotillion. Their plan is to have just a bunch of empty thrones. Right. They're right. going to have all these thrones and then they're not going to let anyone claim them. Yeah. So I don't think that's a totally correct guess. Uh i also think that there's a lot of merit to it but uh, i think
1: it's something along the right lines
0: like in our in our eight hour long (laughs) book seven chapter like book seven the crippled god discussion uh i will try and go over my thoughts on why on what exactly they're doing and why
1: okay sounds good (laughs) I think at that point we're just gonna have to schedule a whole day. Like we have maybe. to just clear our schedules. Like,
0: here and you're gonna have to wake up at midnight, yeah. and we're just gonna go. Where everyone's gonna have to be okay with like a six-hour-long discussion. We can have breaks for snacks.
2: Maybe do it live stream maybe style. It be too, maybe it should be more than one discussion. <laughs> um. Is Kelimved more human than some of the other gods because of his madness is another question. but I, uh,
0: I think that we can see a reflection of Kelimved and, and Tehul.
2: That's interesting, yeah.
0: yeah. I don't think they're the same characters, but they're channeling the same energy, I think.
2: What about Pust?
0: Uh, <laughs> 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 I do, I, like... <laughs> Pust is not... Pust is an entirely selfish character. I don't think that Kellen Vent is entirely selfish, but I think he has selfish inst- impulses. You know, like maybe he
1: he did the thing where he like took the majority of his selfishness and like squirreled it Yeah, squirreled it away.
0: <laughs> in Pust. I like that thought, you know. It's like yeah. his his evil alter ego.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. Or or that's just the aspects of Shadow Throne that Pust you know, latched onto
0: like, yeah. Yeah. So like, obviously like a shadow throne, like he's like hiding himself behind like a thousand different mirrors. And yeah, like the, the, the house of shadow that what all the mortal worshipers get, they, they, they get like one layer deep. It's like, okay, he's not this crazy maniacal idiot. There's actually like some real genius behind there, but then they think, Oh, he's just a conniving, He's just like a conniving, ne'er do well, and I'll I'll worship that part of it and be influenced by that. I could see that.
1: Bringing it back to Arinix and uh, Briss, so they were having this conversation about a lot of things and like you know the Bone Hunters, etc. Um, they also had a conversation about sin, because mm. um, I think it was Briss said the Destrian spoke of fire, meaning te- technicalian spoke of Tenicalian. fire. T- Tana um, And then they were talking about the girl, Sin. Uh, fire at its most destructive, at its most senseless. She could have burned us all to ash and given it not a moment's thought. When you hold such power inside you, it burns away all that is human. You feel nothing. But Briss, you don't understand The Adjunct wants Sith- Sin with them, meaning with Gessler and Stormy, as far away from her as possible. I don't think Tavor would, and then... She- Aaron's like, no, 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 that wasn't her reason, Briss. It's Gessler and Stormy. Those two men have walked in the hold of fire in what the sages of the first empire called Telas. Tavora wants Sin with them because no one else can stand against that child. No one else could hope to survive her power. For when Sin awakens that power, as Calith said, there will be fire. Oh, so it wasn't Tana Kelly and it was Calith who who mentioned mm-hmm. the, the fire. Da-da-da-da-da. And then... This is when they talk about Gessler and Stormy holding on to their humanity. But then they talk about Grub, where he stands beside Sin like her conscious conscience made manifest. It is truly outside her now. She could push it away. She could crush the life from it. I don't know why she hasn't already. And if we think back to like um Dust of Dreams, where Sin is trying to actually keep Grub all to herself. This part makes more sense,
3: mm-hmm.
1: where it's like maybe she does recognize like Grub is her conscience and she needs to hold on to it and protect that as much as she can. Because once, if Grub is taken away from her, then she would lose it. Like it's the last connection she has to people because she's lost everything. Mm-hmm. all the people that she cared about.
0: Yeah, and I think um yeah, like yeah, Grub is her is her connection, right? And like they're framing it like entirely selfish terms and like entirely unfriendly to Sin terms. I think I think <laughs> obviously I've been saying this for many books now. <laughs> I think they're being unfair to Sin. <laughs> I don't sure. think they're trying to see things through her eyes, but uh yeah, like she, she thinks of Grub as her Virgin of death, right? Or like her the, the virgin that she's trying to protect. And the only way she knows how to do that is to separate him from the entire world because all the world has been to sin is awful. Mm-hmm. Like that's all she's had from it. So I think there is a level of actual care that Sin has for him that's being uh, twisted by all of her baggage. I, I also feel really bad for her <laughs> because She definitely senses how people feel about her. And, um, like, Kaliath is like, Oh, I'm so happy. Glad you guys are with us. Gessler and Stormy and Grub.
1: Yeah.
3: (laughs)
0: And then Gessler's like, not Sin. Nobody likes Sin. Poor Sin, right?
1: I am more sympathetic to her now. Not gonna lie. Good.
0: Good. I, you know, more Sin... (laughs) Sin... Sympathizers and stands. But
1: also... Just the, the fact that her name is named Sin doesn't really help her as a character, no. you know?
0: No, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Names actually do have a determining effect on your personality. That's a thing.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, where are we?
0: Uh, we're still in chapter 10. We could. Do we not have a conversation about Grukava's discussion with Spax and Aberstyle. Uh
1: Talks We can. What
0: she wants for the Greyhelms. It's fine. Well, actually, I think we do have to mention that this is where the point Steve makes about contradiction being a good thing actually mm-hmm. is made I don't know if I agree with this point I kind of have a tough time swallowing it because I am a very logical thinker and he's kind of like well logic is overrated and you know like you kind of can just throw it out and contradictions resolve <laughs> themselves or they don't and it doesn't really matter and I don't I don't I, like it's it's an interesting idea I don't think it's this part you might be right
1: I think it's a later chapter because in this part, they're really talking about um, like Krugava, like why, why are you so adamant to be allied with Tabor? Yeah. Right. And um, Krugava talks about the dreams that the Seneschals, Seniskals have. And that's where we find out about, you know, um, she sees Tabor having this power in her mm-hmm. hands and it turns out to be compassion.
0: Yeah. And Krukava's initial aspirations, like, they're so impossibly naive, right? Like, she thought this was going to be the war to end all wars.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And obviously that's a ridiculous notion. There's not going to be any wars. Like, there are going to be wars as long as life exists, right? Yeah. And so, so this is, this is, I think, a, a key reason why she loses the Greyhelms.
1: So the, there is a part here where and it, it's mentioned multiple times later about how Tavor turned Krukava away. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Tavor did, though. Yeah,
2: I don't either.
0: Yeah, she didn't. Krukova thought she did.
2: I think okay. Krukova just got her own stuff. I think that somebody with Krukava's same goals and a better psychological makeup and ideology could have probably won out. Worked it out.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
2: Okay, cuz I thought
1: it was pretty clear like no, Tavor didn't turn you away. She just gave you a different mission, a different goal. Yeah. Cuz we had they had to divide and conquer.
0: Yeah, and like it, it was like an, an incredible expression of trust on the part of Tavor saying like I can trust you to go away and do this thing right. for me. That's a really important thing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and this is this is I think why a lot of Tanakelian criticisms of Krukava personally, well, I think they're they're, they're a mix of projection and accurate. I think, like Krukova is not super interested in glory, <laughs> but she clearly is interested in making herself a martyr. Yeah, I think, and she like she she finds those notions interesting, seductive, and she really had this romantic ideal. Uh, not not romantic isn't like a love sense. but yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like romantic is like a high high ideal of like her and her and Adjunct Tavor <laughs> against the world. You know, changing right. things one one god at a time. And then when this when she got turned away and when it was revealed Tavor actually wants to free the crippled god, she kind of has a crisis here.
1: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, chapter eleven. Yeah.
0: Chapter Eleven: The Bone Hunters begin their journey in the Glass Desert, prompting discussions on loyalty and giving Pores a chance to show his quality.
1: Oh my goodness! That was.
0: <laughs> Are you on the side of Pores now, Panda? You better be.
1: I mean, I'm not against Pores, but I still think he's annoying. In this instance, he's doing something good.
0: But mm-hmm. oh yeah, like he's he's definitely like a fussy kind yeah. of nitpicky kind of annoying guy but you know this is where he excels he excels at <sighs> being like a tight-fisted little quartermaster <laughs> who's quartermaster
1: master sergeant whatever whatever however yeah. many titles i miss the ravens i just i want <sighs> okay i think one of my qualms about reading the series is that the beginning books of the series like i felt so strongly about like positively mm-hmm. because they were my first experience with the series and with what erickson could do with storytelling and he made me care a lot about characters in in the first three books and then after that the series just is like very different Mm-hmm. It's gotten a lot more like philosophical, a lot more like in people's heads, which I appreciate to a certain degree because I, I I get it, I get why he's written it that way, but I also miss the like action and like quick pacing and just the exploration of the worlds and really, you know, fun. I guess yeah. <laughs> aspects of Malazan and now mm-hmm. they're like, they're so spread out. These like moments of fun are just so spread out. And he keeps dropping in these like crumbs from the beginning of the series. And that just makes me like nostalgic mm-hmm. for those books.
2: So, anyway. I think you'll find um, that if you go back to the first couple books, there is just as much philosophy and introspection as there is in these books. <laughs> it may be true that the uh that the crumbs of of lightheartedness are, are a little more spread out because yeah. we're in the dire last moments. But man, the chain of dogs is is just like Okay,
1: that's true. I remember with Dwicker, like there was a lot of but but it was like there were fewer characters that were doing that. Whereas now it's like every character you meet, basically, it's like let's see what they're thinking inside you know
0: yeah steve has talked about talked about this like it was a deliberate decision he made um yeah. in the back half of the series to transition things from being being to, to being less action focused i think right. that's i think that's okay. the main distinction that that's happened he's he's emphasized action a lot less um and yeah i have mixed feelings about it as well i i, I really like these these books I, and I, I said it an episode or two or three ago. I think he could do to let the action speak for itself more,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and not not have characters lay things out as much as they do. Um,
1: Maybe I just want an abbreviated version,
0: like abridged Melasim. Yeah, a yeah.
2: <laughs> no,
1: you didn't pay me to read that.
0: <laughs> I can see both sides of the argument. And I would like
1: the graphic novel version, please. <laughs> please
0: I would. I me. would love. I would love a graphic novel in the last one. That would be so excellent. There, there definitely is a world where Steve is more conscious of market forces, let's say, and mm-hmm. leans into the more popular aspects of his writing and produces like a really tight, cohesive fun series to read that also has like, it's, it's still elevated fantasy, but not, not to this level. And I think that, I think that would be a very fun series to read. I don't think I would love the series as much as I do presently, but I think it would sell like infinite copies.
1: Do you think that he will only write Malazan things from now on? Like no,
0: no, he's he's written other things.
2: Yeah, yeah. He wrote a sci-fi series. He but is that like he's still actively writing it? Is he done with the Wolfel Child series, or is is it finished? I don't
0: remember. He also published Rejoice, A Knife to the Heart. which Well, did I not know he well. has
1: other works, mm-hmm. but I mean, like, his current active writing career. And until, you know...
0: His aspirations. He wants to write more non-Malazin stuff. I, I think um, once he's done with Carcanus and uh, Witness, then he's done with Malazin. Besides maybe, okay. like, novellas. Okay. But... Um, yeah, he's he's getting uh, he's getting he up there in ages. In ages. Doesn't
2: he so. have another project he's working on too?
0: Like, he I'm has like, another haven't... project. Yes. Well, he oh, he we has a few really projects. Yeah. Of... there's like a mystery thing he's doing with Cam, and but I I I, I do believe that he does have intentions to write more non MLAS and stuff. Like he has his book on writing that's going to be like a, a compiled oh, series right, of essays right. okay. plus other things that he's publishing, obviously. And yes. I I definitely think that he's he wants to write more sci-fi and stuff like that gotcha
1: okay sorry that was a tangent how dare you i know
0: um okay. speaking of fun sections i really like the 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 joke reverse joke with uh pores's assistant he gets him to write down this oh like gosh. long message to kindly and the, he like he's like okay now read it back to me he's like need to meet now basically yeah See and it's me. like oh haha that this is exactly what pores wanted he just wants to And then it turns out that the guy actually had memorized the entire thing and just recited it back (laughs) to him because the wax tablet had melted.
1: Okay. Can I just say that? um, Okay. Listeners, please don't hate me. So I know that Pratchett is like held up as this like very funny author. You know, Discworld has these like long building jokes and stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. I've read two Pratchett, two Discworld books so far, um, plus Godomans. I'm going to leave Good Omens out of this because I did enjoy that one. But the Discord books I've read so far, I'm like, it's okay. Which ones? Color of Magic and um, We, Free, we Men. Free Men. Yeah. Which I know, they, they're not the best examples. So I will continue to read it. But as of now, I feel like Pratchett doesn't compare to Erickson in terms of like these jokes. <laughs> like bringing it back and really like nailing the punchline.
2: Yeah. And uh, and uh, I only tried Color of Magic so far and like one other, and I had the same experience. I was like, "Oh wow, sounds like like he's trying really hard to be funny, and it's
1: just not working." <laughs> and it's not that like I don't like British humor
2: because I do. Um, no, I do too. I just don't like Pratchett's humor that I've read. I just
1: I, I haven't read a
2: lot of it. I haven't read
1: yeah, it. and I haven't like really read his like pinnacle example of where he does it really well. So granted, I haven't read that, but. Here I've read a lot of Ericsson's, and it's like he does it really well.
2: Erickson um, has been funny since book one yeah uh, the the biggest slog I think of getting into Ericsson uh is the first four chapters, The of Gardens of the Moon before the Dirgisistan sections, and after that, it's funny, and it just goes, and i I think they're hilarious books and you haven't even read his comedy series, The Box Oh yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh and and those actually kind of hit me like Pratchett at first like I was like hey he's trying too hard it's not that funny and then the more of them I read the funnier they get uh but there's a lot less of them than there are Pratchett's books so that didn't take as long (laughs) and uh and uh yeah they are hilarious uh once they they get going um yeah
0: (laughs) Uh, in the interest of not getting burned at the stake by the listeners, uh, I do have to unfortunately point out that yeah, you guys are wrong about Pratchett. Sorry. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> I admit that I am very likely very wrong, and I will continue to read Pratchett. Yeah. You know. I mean, the,
0: the real answer is like, like, t- like, yes, it is fine if D doesn't work for you. The thing I like about Pratchett is that his humor has like real bite to it in in the, in the books that I've liked from him. Okay. Uh, I I said this before Neil Gaiman has said and Neil Gaiman being a very close friend of the man and his co-written books on that Pratchett wrote from a place of anger and
2: when we asked Steve about
0: this he also responded like yes he also writes from a place of anger and I think anger is a fantastic well to draw actual actually good humor from because I think a lot of the very best humor comes from being angry about things in the world. (laughs) Right, like there's like the social commentary jokes that you you can have from from really funny yeah. communities. Like they're angry about something, and they're making fun of it viciously because of it. Right, mm-hmm. and I think I'll, you can kind of see a lot of that in in Malazan. Pratchett does it very well when he lambasts you know whatever he's lambasting at the time. I mm-hmm.
1: think. Okay, got it. Maybe I, maybe that's what we'll do after we finish Malazan, Is the four of us can read
0: a discord read book. And I'm down. Discuss it.
2: Maybe one that is funny without having to read 16 other books. Yes, for... exactly. <laughs>
0: um, well, you, like Discworld, there there are like sub-series within Discworlds that yes. you can start on. Like none none of them require that you have read all the previous Discworld books to get the humor. Pre-
1: preferably out. something that's more standalone than like in a
0: subseries. Yeah. Um. I will also just say, yeah, Melasna is like Steve Stephen Erickson is like he, he he really gets humor. I laugh at his jokes almost all the time. Uh, even the ones that a lot of people don't find funny, like in Midnight Tides, all of the all of the very crude sex jokes that are made, I find <laughs> I them funny.
1: Okay, yeah. I have a question for you. Um, so like reading his, you know, potty humor and like thirteen-year-old boy humor, mm-hmm. and like quote-unquote meeting him as close as we can meet him in real life, does that track?
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And like especially because we know that these these books were inspired by an RPG campaign. Like, I, this is I know, but this is the kind of shenanigans <laughs> you get up to when you're like a, a dungeon master and you're trying to make things funny for your characters. Like, yes, you walk into a brothel, there are penises on the wall, there are penises on the banister, you know.
1: <laughs> you know, I think next time we talk to Steve, it'll just be like not talking about anything specific Malazan. Or, like, at least a portion of it. And it's just, like, stupid stuff. Because yeah. I just have this, this this association of, like,
0: serious, serious Steve. Steve. And then, yeah.
1: like, this kind of humor Steve, you know? I know he can be funny, obviously. But it's just, like... Like,
0: he, he puts on his, like, professor coat for, for the interviews. Because he wants to... He, he's giving, like, a good defense of his series. And I absolutely agree with you. We should try and draw the fun... Playful Steve out, because
2: Ash, have you read uh, C- a Pot Trail? No. <laughs> Do you know the premise?
0: Yeah, uh, I know that AP is in it, and that's exciting.
2: AP is in it, but and like uh,
0: there's a long like a commentary about literary criticism.
2: Yes. Okay. Uh, the uh the premise of Crackpot Trail is that there are all of these um like paladins on a pilgrimage to a city where all of these artists. Also going to go to this like artist of the century contest that happens every year. So it's artist of the century, but it's
0: once a year. Yeah, when I think of Steve, like the the character that I think resembles Steve most by far is like Shadow Throne. Really? <laughs> yes, I can totally see him playing Shadow Throne for like for campaigns and just like coming up with these justifications huh. and that yeah, there's like these hidden layers because. As we know, Steve is an impossible RPG player to corral in any sense. You know, he just, you know, you throw challenges at him, he just kind of rips them apart. And Shadow Thrones, like, he's that in the world of Malazan, just doing doing that stuff. Like, um, <laughs> if you'll remember, like, in a, it, was, it might have been in our first interview with Steve, I had mentioned that I was starting my own RPG campaign. He's like, if you have illusion magic go wild with illusion magic and mess with your players' heads. You know, drive them crazy. Um, Like He's just like a little chaos imp imprisoned in the body (laughs) of a respectable man.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. I think part of it is just like my own uh, preconceptions of Mm -hmm. like what kind of person would write this kind of series? You know? Mm -hmm. And... Be able to like go so deep and like be able to portray humanity so well, and and all sort from all sorts of different angles, um, like that kind of person is I don't know like a genius kind of person, and yet he's as human if not more so than most people, um, yeah. with his kind of humor. So mm-hmm. anyway,
0: I really appreciate how he doesn't seem particularly inclined to apologize for any of it. I really respect that.
1: No. <laughs> yeah. I kind of just wish like we had more glimpse of what he was like as a kid.
0: Oh yeah. That would be really interesting. Anyway.
1: So I did make a note here because this is where, you know, Kindly and the star Igil like they had that conversation with Tavor and basically, you know, the, the troops are running out of water, right? And nobody really believes that they're actually going to be able to make it through the desert. And the the commanders basically um, have this meeting with Tavor, and Tavor is saying, "No, we're going to continue. We're going to hold our pace and actually increase our pace and um, all of this stuff." Which actually, this was a really um, insightful scene, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: at least in the sense that we got to see more of how well Tavor is as a leader, like how good she is as a leader in, in true Malazan style, right? Like she let them voice their opinions and then made the decision of which ones to execute, right? Kindly go do exactly what you said, right? Like we don't need the armor smith or whatever anymore, et cetera. And, but but she was also firm, like we are going to continue, right? And it was it was very nice to see like we 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 do see that you know um, griping about like why are we doing this da, da 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 all that but from like the the leader perspective of these leaders have a decision to make do they actually continue and follow but then they also are contending with how do i communicate this to my subordinates, and Lassara is just like, you know what? The best thing you can do, don't say anything, and you actually show. You show by standing with Tavor and continuing to go with her, and it's just that's such good portrayal mm-hmm. um, of what could be a what, what could make a really good leader, and in this case, it's. Its actions speak louder than words. Like, what can you really say? Yes, I know we're most likely not going to make it. Our chances of making it is very little. But I'm telling you to go, go along with it. Rather, rather than saying that, it's like, you know what? I am making the decision to follow our leader, Mm -hmm. and take that for what you will.
0: Yeah, I, as I said, I don't have a quote. I'm going to read out the what Ruthann Good says to Kindly. Um, I think it was Ruthann. Yeah. After he was like, "What? how dare she ask us to, as soldiers, to sympathize with our enemy, to, to let down our guard and really feel things. Oh, yes. He says, you still don't get it. None of you. Listen. We don't dare look across into the eyes of a suffering god. But kindly, she dares. You ask for more from her? God's below. What more can she give? She'll flee- feel all the compassion none of you can afford to feel. Behind that cold iron, she will feel what we can't. His eyes went flat unkindly, and you asked for more. Yeah. Ugh, that's a you, chills. You don't read right the
2: audiobook, and it shows.
0: Yeah?
1: <laughs> you don't yeah. read the audiobook?
2: Yeah. Why? Because uh, Ruth on Good's like, God's below. Like, he's like, got this thick <laughs> accent. He's like, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you said it, like, so flat, I was like, like, I heard his voice as the audiobook narrator does it, and it's, like, overlaid over it. I was just, like, Dissonance, Man.
0: dissonance, yeah.
1: Does, does that help? Does the audiobook do, do it justice? I mean, those are the voices for
2: me. <laughs> there is a little dissonance with the characters from the first three books because of the other narrator, but... Okay. And my, my quick end voices are so different that, like, <laughs> if I'm listening to the later books... It, I if I'm reading out loud quick Ben to my wife, it's that voice and it's the other voice if I've been listening to the earlier books, It's they're completely different.
0: Yeah, I, I have not been feeling compelled to listen to the uh, audiobooks for the Book of the Fallen, but I hear the one for the God is Not Willing is fantastic. And okay. I probably will pick up the audiobook for that just because I want to listen to her because she does Warhammer narrations as well. And uh, oh, okay. Warhammer is uh, one of my other passions
2: both Ralph Lister and Michael Page are great narrators. I would say Lister is more difficult to listen to if you haven't read these books a thousand times like you have.
0: Hmm. Uh, well, this it. is my first reread, right? Is it really? Yeah.
2: Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, my
0: first time reading it was like in high school.
2: I don't think you would have, a tr- have trouble with Lister, but Lister, who does the first three books, uh, when you're new to the series, it's hard. Because he, hmm. like, does not signal POV changes very well at all. Interesting. And it's rough <laughs> if you don't know what's going on.
3: Yeah, that, that sounds like
0: it.
1: Yep. Uh, bring it back to Tavor. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, with Tavor, like, thank you for reading that section because that is a truly powerful section. I did think about, because we were talking about this before, like, the Bone Hunters endured a lot of suffering. However, um. I don't consider them like worshipers of the crippled God, right? And the reason is because they don't dwell on their suffering. They haven't given up. I think if they did give up and they, you know, just like in the desert, they're like, there is no hope. We can't do this. We've already suffered enough. We're still suffering. Da-da-da-da-da. And become really, really bitter about it. They would become followers of the crippled god or worshippers of the crippled god So they all turned into blisting exactly actually yes exactly yeah and i think tavor knows that and so she is actively like combating that and like this woman like this character is just like giving people hope without saying anything Like, she's not going tent to tent and, like, you know, shaking hands, patting people on the back or anything. She is just holding course. She has enough faith, although it is kind of wavering a bit. And she's just holding it all together and holding it all in. And, like, I kind of get it. I, I don't really know exactly if this is what Erickson was going for with how he wrote Tavor. But with her silence, it's like she is letting her actions show rather than better than any words she could really say
0: i think that's correct and and we see that through kenneb in Dust of dreams when he has that little those thoughts to himself what can i it, what i say right. is going to be idiotic they already know exactly there's nothing to say and tabor knows this yeah
2: do we know where the unbound are where they are yeah are they like with the bone hunters right now, or did they like just come have a little chat with Tavor and then go somewhere?
0: I don't think we know, yeah they we know that they came to the camp and she she had a conversation with them though,
2: yeah, but we haven't seen them since then, right yep and, but you know and they and that conversation didn't entail where they were gonna what were the, what they were gonna be doing next, right? who knows yeah I guess you I guess know, I guess and I'm supposed to know, and I forgot
0: I don't remember <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like, uh, I'm sure you'll come up. Like, um, I should like it's it's very. It's, I'm sure it's clear to everyone and the listeners. I, I'm not a plot guy, right? Like, I think I I I am very grateful that you're here because you are like much more of a plot guy. You you put the work into understanding what's actually going on. <laughs> I I have like a uh, I have a a broad working strokes. understanding of what happens in the series. Yeah, broad strokes. <laughs> My my concern is primarily with theme and to a lesser extent characters. So for me, that's that's what it's about. That's my that's where my understanding stems from. Um,
2: I, but I'm on not the trying plot to level, out the whole war. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
2: I like I care about the theme and the characters too, but I want to know where all the characters are and what their missions are and what they're doing <laughs> and where they're going. And
0: this is this is like so. A lot of the times when you're asking these questions, it's like I have no clue, no clue. <laughs> well, sorry, <laughs> I mean,
2: it's Erickson's fault, right? because yeah. he's written these books in such a way that if you lose track of what a character is doing then later they're gonna show up and it's gonna be pivotal and yeah. it's gonna be really obvious from what they were last doing when you last paid attention to them that this yeah. is where they were gonna end you know what i mean like he like yes. writes them to to make you want to pay attention to the plot and to make you want to be like the charlie uh meme yeah. uh, the always sunny meme with the big board and he's no, like, yeah, the, yeah, yeah 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 like he writes them that way. So he's made me this way. It's his fault.
0: <laughs> well and, and the, hilariously maybe a contradictory nature and his a contradictory nature. He doesn't care about the details all that much either. <laughs> you know like he's like he's totally fine writing things one way and then you're like, wait, that that doesn't work with the story you want to tell later and just like kind of ignoring it. Nope, sorry.
2: <laughs> sure. Sure, yeah. that's true. But but he has made it kind of important where like Character yes. a that dropped off the map ends up at scene B. You know, yes. on several occasions, it's magic. Yeah, and, and so like, like, like gets you thinking about it.
0: Like, I, I think a great example of this is um, a lot of the. There's a lot of stuff in House of Chains that he sets up, and you know, the next book he gets to it, it's the God is not willing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no way, yeah. I didn't. I didn't even notice that anything is missing. For him to pick up and God is not willing. Yep. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> How does this guy's... Uh, his brain... Man?
0: I don't know. As we know, he doesn't have the notes. He doesn't reread. All he has is maps that he looks over. Bonkers.
2: Memories of Ice is a good example of this. Like the... Where is Spawn? Right. Oh, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah. The
2: whole time. And then it comes up, you know. Right. Yeah.
1: So... Yes, indeed. Um... Uh, bring it to the more like serious and somber moment where um it's amongst the uh, soldiers, right? Uh, somebody was talking to Bottle and they were saying, oh, actually, actually, before we get there, um, the exchange Ruthen had with, um, what's her face?
0: Ferret and Sort? No. Or Skinnero? Skinnero.
1: Skinnero. Basically, like he was telling her i I was going to desert mm-hmm. you know, and um I, I it, it, it was really funny. I, was I should probably to kidnap you <laughs> yes, I should probably tell you I was considering leaving, oh, not you, this army. Rusin, I'm in this army. I planned on kidnapping you. I see he sighed today, she talking about tavor. Changed my mind. So my love, we're in this till the bitter end. And then she goes, if that's a marriage proposal, I kinda like it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that was fun. But then um on a more serious note, they were talking about Bottle was talking with somebody and basically they were saying, like, you know how much money like we are getting paid to do this?
3: Mm -hmm.
1: However, I haven't thought about my pay in months, right? Like, I'm not thinking about the cottage, not the tavern, not the, you know, nice fishing boat or garden or whatever. And it's, it really hit home. Like, they're not doing it for money. They're doing it for something so much more. They're no longer just soldiers. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody says, something's happened to us, that's all. The Bone Hunters. Maybe it was invading Leather, maybe it was Molassity or even y- Yucatan. I don't know. Look at us. We're an army not thinking about loot. Why do you think Korik went and mocked Smiles here about charging for her piss? It's because no one cares about silver and gold, or buying stinking estates, or breeding horses, or taking up sea trades. We're probably the only army in the world that doesn't. And this this is exactly why this army has gone insane. I paraphrase that last part, but I really like that um, moment because all of this discussion, all of this like talk about the crossing the glass desert, it's like nobody sane would do this, right? And it's true. This army is not sane. Like they're not doing, uh, at least on the surface, what is logical. So that's why they're the ones for the job. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. And this is conversations like this are why I tend to rate the bone hunters higher than the bridge burners in my mind, because, you know, whether it's their fault or not, it's probably not their fault. The bridge burners never had causes like this to fight for. Bone hunters do. And we get this level of why are we doing this? This is why we're doing this. This is why we're the kinds of people we are. And still we get all these sections of hilarious interactions between them. And profound interactions between them, and hilarious and profound interactions between them. Like I
1: kind of disagree with you. Yeah, go ahead. Because part of it is the Bone Hunters didn't really get a chance to have this. The Bridge Burners. The- sorry, sorry. The Bridge Burners didn't really have a chance, right? Because they were basically wiped out. Fiddler is the very last one.
0: Besides Quick and Spindle, and okay, fine. Lens and Picker. Fid- Hedge <laughs> and Nancy <laughs> well
1: hedge hedge kind of doesn't count,
0: yeah, hedge like they call him dead hedge for a re- very good reason, yeah,
1: but like, okay, Fiddler is almost the very last one
0: mm-hmm. and Spiritual. it's like
1: it's like, um, but he is still here. i I would like to think that if the the rest of the bridge burners had this opportunity, they would be doing what Fiddler is doing.
0: totally possible,
2: I also yeah. think that it's not really fair to say that the Bridgeburners didn't have this, we didn't get to read the Bridgeburners having this.
0: Yeah, uh, but, like, this gets into, like, you know, like, headcanons and, like, alternate, like, con- contrafactuals. Like, I- I'm talking about, like, for the series that is written, like, the-, the the stuff that we actually get from both parties, this is why I like the Bonehunters more.
2: Oh, like, within the context of the ten books. Y-
0: yeah, like, within the context of, like, melazin like, M- M- generally, I, th- I-, I don't think the... Bridge burners show up in the uh, outside of the book of the Fallen yeah,
2: not much it's, not yeah it's very it it's like
0: there will be like one or two not like, like they're two. sort of in night of knives kind of but you yeah. know what right. but like
1: you know what you do have to give credit to the bridge burners in that they were and even before the bridge burners there wasn't like a previous version of them right mm-hmm. so it's like the bone hunters are building off of what the bridge burners had done and laid the foundation for sure,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
2: And also off of the, um, the seventh and the ninth armies. And, yeah, um, exactly. Um,
0: and decimal Ultor's previous forces. And
2: so, but okay. So I get what you're saying there, Ash, but I did want to say that from what we do know, even within the 10 books of what the bridge burners did before the siege of pale, you have the conquest of seven cities, mm-hmm. which like we see that before the Malazan took over, it was like this reactionary cesspool. Uh, and, yeah. and basically still is. It's just like a powder keg of, of, of nastiness. Yeah. They uh, did, did a like, benevolent
0: like, colonialism.
2: They, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, quotes anyway,
0: around the benevolent.
2: <laughs> right. And, and where whiskey Jack thought that that wouldn't be. So benevolent, he helped prevent
3: mm-hmm.
2: the Moazin con- conquest, uh, mm-hmm. and like, or at least like, you know, cauterized it a bit. You know, like, you know, so there was a, there is, that's in their past.
0: Yeah, you know, the in yeah, sort of. Yeah, but it's just
2: we don't get to see it; we just hear about
0: it. But yeah, they are at at that point soldiers doing their jobs, though, right? Like they do it because they're getting paid for that, right? And like. Oh, I see. Part of the point saying. of this is like the Bone Hunters. There's no no really logical reason for them to be doing this, and they're trying to figure out why are we doing this. And we get all these juicy discussions around this, and, and moments of like real humanity among them. And the Bridgeburners, like for all that there was real decency among some of them, they still were like tools of the Malazan Empire. Whereas the Bone Hunters of are tools of like humanity itself like they get to have this like transcendental purpose to them i see what you mean yeah Yeah, bridge burners don't have and and like like total like part of this is definitely opportunity like who knows if you replace the bone hunters with the bridge burners like what would happen what the series would look like it would look different right yeah um and maybe they would rise to the occasion but that's not the series that we have
1: That yeah
2: right okay Yeah, yeah yeah that's fair
1: and the reason why I say that Fiddler was the last one is because like, like the following section where who who was talking to Hedge? Somebody was talking to Hedge and Hedge was basically like griping about how Fiddler is treating him.
0: Wait, I actually never liked Fiddler in the first place. And then someone's yeah. like, All the all the ones you like are dead conveniently. It's like, yeah, it's so much easier.
1: Yeah, but but something that um, I think he finally understood about why Fiddler reacts to him the way that he does. It was how unfortunate. Did you like Whiskey Jack? I we was the best of friends. And this <laughs> is um, hedge responding to that question. Plenty there to like, basically. in both of us. Fid was the odd one out. Come to think on it. And now Whiskey Jack rides among the dead. Tragic, Bevedict. Okay, Bevedict was the one that he's talking to. A damn shame. And you loved him deeply. So I did. So I did. But Fiddler is still alive. Aye. And you never really liked him. Just so. In fact, you love all the dead bridge burners. Of course I do. Just not the last one left alive. Hedge glared and then slapped the man on the side of the head. Why am I talking to you? You don't understand nothing. Off you march up to where his company trudge. My reading of this exchange was, hopefully Hedge finally gets it that like, dude, Fiddler went through so much suffering because all these people that he cared about, they all died. Mm-hmm. And Hedge had the, I guess, he, Hedge had the experience of going with the rest of the bridge burners and then the opportunity to come back, mm-hmm. right? Fiddler did not have that same release where he didn't get to escape all of the sadness and the like depression and feeling of guilt for surviving and you you just really see the difference in how they react um to each other
2: there's another read on uh what what uh bevedict is saying here and yeah. it's that hedge might have talked about fiddler or talked about the other bridge burners the way he talks about fiddler if they were alive mm. and that he really uh, well, a, a very cynical misanthropic reading is that he didn't really love any of them until they died. But I see. He, that's not my reading. It's that he <laughs> does love Fiddler just as much as he loves these other people, but he can admit it about the ones that are dead because Got he doesn't it. have to interact with them and it's like a Gessler Stormy situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think another part of it is that Fiddler has grown past who he was when he was in the Bridgeburners and yeah. Hedge has come back, and he expects everything to just go back to the way that it was. You know, just Fiddler and Hedge again, dynamic duo, sappers of chaos against the world. But that's not who Fiddler is anymore. Like he's Sergeant right. Captain Fiddler of the Bone Hunters. He's right. a Bone Hunter now. He's not a Bridgeburner anymore.
2: And furthermore, that's why he does. That's why he's claiming he doesn't. He never liked Fiddler. Yes, because he's yeah. not considered a Bridgeburner anymore, or doesn't see himself. Be- no, because he can't. He's not because he's not getting the the relationship that mm. he wanted mm-hmm. on coming back. So he's like retroactively. Oh, I see what uh, you mean. I never liked you know, Fiddler. Was, yeah, yeah. I see, I see.
0: And this is another theme in the series: like you have to adapt to new circumstances, or you will be irrelevant and replaced, and everything will be awful. Fiddler is willing to to adapt. Yeah. And Hedge is not. Hedge is stuck in the past. He's refusing. He's brought back the bridge burners. But quote unquote.
1: That makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. Hedge didn't go through Igatan e- e- yep. like the rest of the Bone Hunters, right? So he didn't have that transformative experience. I mean, he went through death, um, and that's a different experience. But also, I think maybe on a, on some level, it's Fiddler had already processed that Hedge was dead. Mm-hmm. And with Hedge coming back, he's like, I went through all this pain and now you're back, but what if you die again? Right? Which, mm-hmm. you know, most likely he will. I have to go through it again? You know? So...
0: Yeah, like Hedge, I, I think that in many ways, Hedge is still kind of dead. You know, uh, he's yeah. not changing. He's not really... He doesn't. He's he doesn't so seem to be dead. really alive. He seems to be like a, like kind of like a character of who he yeah. was before he died to me.
2: Yeah. Well, and and it, in the manner of dead people in Malazin, once they're dead, all they do is bemoan. Yeah. Their past <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. How it was taken away from them, and yeah. da, 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 and they're like harping on on the past and kind of stuck in it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I, I, this is this is why among other characters this is why when hedge comes back it's not th- this is why death still has an impact for me and malazan because when characters come back for the most part i think they're more akin to hedge you know like it's
1: they're more of they're, a show
0: they're back but yeah they're they're not really back um yeah. like there there are a couple of exceptions i think Briss is kind of an exception but i think it's Helen a justified Bed exception uh who helenved oh yeah
2: shadow throne acts exactly like woo does in the prequels <laughs> like they, there's no change, he's the same character before and after ascending. He's, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, for the most part, you're right. <laughs> but there are, yeah. yeah,
1: but I think it's also the consequences like that the reactions, the impacts that the death has on the people um, around yes. them and also downstream mm-hmm. that's where the real consequences. Um, I do think we need to move on. So <laughs> to honestly, chapter twelve.
2: To move on to bed. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. The the last thing I'll say about this chapter is um, there is this conversation about um Hannahvat and the
0: sis- oh, his, yeah
1: daughter in law.
0: Just something. What's her face? Yeah.
1: Yes. Gull's
0: daughter and Gall's daughter in law is now sleeping with him.
1: Yes. Yeah. And how Hanavet is very understanding of this whole situation. There's like a lot that we could unpack there, but I just don't think we have time.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess I guess the lesson there is uh, don't presume to know what other people's relationships are like, and don't performatively out be, don't be performatively outraged on their behalf. <laughs> just yeah. you know, I really like uh, one of the small Bone Hunter sections here, where it's like Clasp talking to salt lick Mm. and it's like the conversation's like okay i hey we know that fiddler had like this special group of people that he picked to be his elite in group and uh can we be part of that group and salt looks like this isn't a thing uh obviously this is not a thing but yeah you're in yeah well welcome (laughs) sure it makes you feel better that was i think that was a really well executed scene yeah um and also uh I, i like the urban hellion stuff as well excellent uh, Helene scary. is able to march while sleeping. That's a fantastic <laughs> ability. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Yeah. Chapter 12. The Sheik proves surprisingly adept at resisting the Leosan incursion. This, I think, we'll have far less to say about. Him. Yeah?
1: Honestly, this was my least favorite chapter in this whole section.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Leosan leaders, overly confident. Somebody tried to talk him down, talk some sense into him. There was a lot of death. That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. I should give a shout out to Chapter Nine when we see Yed and Derek eating the last lump of cheese that they had. Oh yeah, that was a. I think that was somewhat poignant. Piece of There's that.
1: no more cheese.
0: There's oh. no more cheese. Yeah, that's now there is no more. <laughs> but yeah, like this is. I appreciate what's being done here. Uh, it's not the most compelling to me.
1: No, if listeners even as a shake apologist, if listeners are upset that we didn't spend much time on Chapter Twelve, um, you can let us know what. You would want us to discuss, <laughs> and then we will talk about it later.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. There's uh, to 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 shout out what's happening here. The we get we we're starting to get the glimpse of the formation of another new thing in the shaken and and they're not breaking, and they should be breaking. And there are discussions here, but why? I think it's done better with the Bone Hunters, but obviously there's resonance across both of them. Chapter 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, nothing from Janeth. Yeah. Um, chapter 13. The Letheri pick up Precious Thimble, Ambi Bowl, and faint. Krukava sets off after the Bone Hunters.
1: Okay. What I do think is interesting from this section is the discussion about the wastelands and how the it's waking up. Um, I did think of this as, um, you know, People avoided the wastelands, right? Because it's it's called the wastelands. And people avoid it for good reason. And it was left undisturbed and basically starved for a long time. And, and basically, I, I see it as in this like sleeping dormant state. However, now there is a bunch of movement in the wasteland. And there's a lot of life and power and like all these things flowing through it and therefore now the wasteland is waking up um, and my guess is because Precious was saying the holds and the warrens were kind of severed um here in the wastelands but it seems like the next thing that's going to happen is the holds and the warrens will reconnect and then my guess is that the mages will
0: be able to access power again I think you're um... Absolutely correct. <laughs> I think this is an excellent demonstration of the metaphor of humans aspecting the power that's already there for their own like their their perceptions of how things are going and their own internal journeys have tangible effects upon the physical reality of the world. And yes, without life, there is no magic, and magic is used to sustain and and control life and this the spiritual journey that the bone hunters are going through on their way through the glass desert is a crucial part of reinvigorating the landscape and bringing life to where there wasn't life before. And if they weren't, like, on, in a thematic sense, if they weren't going through what they're going through, like the suffering, the, the camaraderie, the love that they feel for one another, then this land would not be able to live again.
1: Anything else uh, to say?
0: Um, we get the uh, hint that... uh The uh, Bull Brothers, part of what makes them special is, like, they have, like, literal metal in their bones. (laughs) Yeah. They've they've really been genetically engineered. The Jagged really did a number on them. Um, And they're kind of, like, demonic. So there's probably some crossbreeding going on there, too. Whack.
1: (laughs) Whack, indeed. Any last thoughts,
2: Janeth? Um, I still want better right all the way up to the pre-Gardens of the Moon. Jenna back in campaign, so we get more brother stuff. <laughs> Give me the Motwood campaign. Give me the Montwood campaign.
0: That that sounds like a like such a horrifying and hilarious experience. You know, like the, like he goes like full Vietnam War, but with the Melas antics.
2: Mm. I mean, honestly, I didn't expect him to go as far as he's done with Forge the High Mage. Like I thought this was the book I would want to read, like since house Gates. And mm-hmm. they would never write. It's that's Forge of the High Mage, right? So if he's gonna go there, mm-hmm. that means there's a chance he'll take us to the Motwood camping.
0: <laughs> uh, why don't we nice. just
2: ask him? Ask Esselmont if he'll yeah. write it. Yeah. I, I would or, love to. I don't know how to get a hold of him.
0: <laughs> through AP probably. Yeah, A P can. <laughs> in a in a maybe distant future. We will be talking about Esselmont stuff here, I'm sure. And twenty twenty four. Like more than that, I think you know, like twenty thirty five you know, is when we'll get old man Esselmont on, and he'll have already published all. Wait, his
2: books. what? Nah. <laughs> At the, the rate that you guys about are going, Esselmont books is they don't require four discussions per book.
1: Yeah,
0: this is true. Yeah,
1: I'm not, and I'm not saying that I'm committing to doing all of the Malazan books. That is not what I'm
0: saying. I yeah, I don't think you would. As I've said, I don't think you would enjoy Karkness and. I like there, there are books in the extended universe that I think you would really enjoy, but cool. uh, I think there are also ones that you would not enjoy and just don't need to read.
1: Okay. Anything I
0: else? Love <laughs> I love yes. Like I, I think Carkness is fantastic. We get it. We but... get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just don't think yeah, Carkness is like all of the all of the problems you have with like the introspection and the philosophizing and the the. The thought over action, like, magnified a hundredfold in Karkness. Like, Karkness almost doesn't don't... have action at all.
2: It's okay, not that but... I don't like it. Go ahead. But book one is more like that, and it's way shorter. It's only, like, 16 hours long. And book two... And <laughs> <laughs> book two, which is, like, full-length, 43-hour monster, at least has the malazan humor in it, which book one... Very much lax.
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't say it has melazin humor. It has like it has humor, but I think Malaz Humor is little, like very distinct from not
2: like Malaz in the society. I mean like Book of the Fallen type humor.
0: I would say uh the humor that it has from the Book of the Fallen the most is like Midnight Tides humor. It, without the sex. Without the sex potty jokes.
2: Interesting. yeah. You know? Yeah. Maybe a little um, of the sex and potty
0: jokes. A little bit. Like I much. I think the true parallel to Karkness. It obviously is like Hamlet and Shakespeare and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But
2: Shakespeare, but the funny stuff is like Shakespeare's body, body, like
0: a lot of the time. Yes. Stuff. Commoner yes. jokes.
2: Yeah. I, it's not that I don't like the Guildenstern. That's who. Yeah. That's who yes. the common relief.
0: Yes. In, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. They, they are Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> it's just, I, I just can't take it in long stretches you know yeah
0: that's that's carcness yeah. that's carcness
1: okay yeah all right that concludes this episode if you want to join the read-along which there's not much left uh for Just the main much for 10 me. books <laughs> so um if you want to contribute listener questions check us out on the legendariums discord link in the show notes you can also find us on twitter at green team pod and uh yeah Hope you'll stick around and uh, see how all of this this journey concludes. Oh,
0: man, I'm very excited we're going to have some fantastic discussions.
2: I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, right. oh, I think I'm going to like it more the second time through. Yeah, I think it really colored. I think it really colored things that I was able to predict it so early. And then the prediction was confirmed. And now, like all the pressure of like, having, oh, yeah, having to find out what happens is off. So it's much more enjoyable now. Like, I'm more Mm. relaxed and just (laughs) along for the ride. Yeah, because you know the plot points. Yeah, well, and then when you do predict it that early and have the prediction confirmed, and you don't have the will he, won't he question going around, you get like a pretty solid idea in your head of how that, of how it will happen, which is not at all how it happened. So I was like way off despite being bang on. Like, yeah.
0: also, at the end, there's like just a moment where it's like, it's like there's a building thing and then something happens like, wait, what? And then it kind of mm. uh, from like a cathartic standpoint, it's like, I don't quite understand what why that happened. I need to go look up discussions on why that happened. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> and, yeah. And when that that the thing that you're talking about, I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. Yeah. But- did I. Pandas come the closest that I think anybody has to figuring that one out. I don't yeah, know maybe. what you're talking about.
0: Got something to be excited for. I apparently made a correct prediction. Or close to correct.
2: She was, she was like hitting close to it in the last episode. Oh,
0: I still haven't oh, edited I need to edit that. God. Please edit, edit it so it. I can listen to it.
2: <laughs> before the next one.
1: Alright. Uh,
0: Wrapping up. Goodbye. Yes. I,
1: I already said goodbye. Goodbye. Next, Later. Until tonight. next time. Music